0: Me too. Really? Yeah. Is it COVID? I don't know. Maybe. You know, I mean, the second if I thought I had it, all of a sudden I wouldn't be able to breathe. Mm. I'd have body aches. You know how the mind works. It's very, it's crazy how that works. I had a a real interesting A and B with that. I'm not going to get into the specifics. Because it's my own body and my own life. (laughs) Fuck you, I'm not telling. But I had a situation like a year ago where there was something I was really concerned about on my body. And while I was getting it checked out, it really hurt. You know, it was like I, I was constantly fixated on it and I was like having some pain. And then I get it checked out. And the second, literally, like, minutes after I found out exactly what it is and it wasn't going to kill me, I looked down and I'm like, wait, it doesn't hurt anymore. That's weird. (laughs) You know? It was, like, this pretty obvious A and B where I'm like, maybe there was pain, but I was definitely making it way worse. I've I've had that, man. The mind is powerful. It
1: is? (laughs) (laughs) That's why you should never, ever use the internet to diagnose your illnesses oh
0: that's a fact well i mean cancer it's all cancer or yeah within four clicks you have cancer yeah (laughs) yeah it's 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 too easy i mean it's like yeah all those nondescript symptoms it's like stomach pain yeah cancer it's possible (laughs) it's possible if you have stomach pain you have cancer you know the robot doesn't know that Uh, how's it going brad uh it's okay it's good um just
1: chilling you know Spent some time out on the playground, freezing my butt off.
0: Yeah, you told me you were selling weed to kids today? Yeah, made some money from the from the eighth graders. Yeah, they're like, yo, yo, <laughs> is, is, is old man New England here with the grass?
1: Yo, <laughs> screw those kids. They don't know what they're getting. I'm selling them fucking oregano.
0: <laughs> when I was a kid, I went to buy weed once, and the guy tried to sell us green crayon shaving. <laughs> We were old enough to look at it and be like, you fucking serious, dude? You know, like, like I'd seen a lot of, I've seen people go into their parents' cupboards and take herbs and spices and put it in a bag and pretend it's weed. And if you don't know any better, you know, it's like, okay, it's green, it's dry, it looks like something. But I mean, I, I looked at this kid. We're like, dude, it's not even forest green. This is like lime green. I'm like, come on, fella. You know, I wonder what happened to a kid like that. You what know? do you think is wrong with us? That's that's probably an insurance fast. salesman or something. Now mm, he's probably a successful salesman of something. That's the thing. I know. I know. It's crazy how that works. I just I was covering something on the tune-up yesterday. We do a segment called "This Day in Music History" and. Uh yesterday was like an anniversary of Frank Sinatra Jr being kidnapped. Oh shit. I don't know if you know this, but in like in like I 1963 something. Yeah, he was like eating chicken in his underwear in like a hotel in Lake Tahoe and these people came and swept him up and he basically was blindfolded in a trunk for 2 days and Frank Frank Sinatra had to pay 240 grand to right. get him. Um which
1: is like, it's questionable whether old Frank had some ties to people that, you know, you might not want to get on the wrong side of, but maybe that was them.
0: <laughs> yes. Wait, what were we talking about just before that? Because this was getting to a point.
1: Uh, we were talking about psychosomatic diagnoses and selling Oh, right. to... So
0: this guy, this guy who kidnapped Frank Sinatra's kid when, you know, he ended up, of course, got caught like two days after and went and went to trial. But his reasoning was that He was helping two families at once. He's like, I'm getting money from my family, but I'm also helping the estranged Sinatra family, (laughs) you know, get back together and really retie their family Uh, roots by kidnapping the kid. But the thing that really stood out to me is the guy only got four and a half years in prison and got out and became a millionaire. What in real estate and owned like uh, houses in Texas and Mississippi and an apartment in L. A. and ended up being this like massively successful rich person. So wow. all this was getting to the point that the guy who sells lime green crayon shavings, yeah, is you're right, is probably rich and doing really well. <laughs> yeah, that's just the way the world shakes there's, out. There's a
1: sucker born every minute.
0: I know. I'm usually him. You know,
1: <laughs> I it's I me. definitely recall being a young and naive kid who's like maybe it is a kind of weed that we don't know about you know like i think i'm sure that i i definitely i don't know if i ever bought anything that wasn't weed but i definitely smoked some shit like rolled up leaves that the fucking older kids were like here dude this is a new kind of pot it's called arkansas magic man it
0: just (laughs) smells
1: like parsley i'm telling you that that literally (laughs) happened to me i smoked like half of a fucking like maple leaf or some shit like rolled up (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's amazing Ugh. what you think. I had a friend of mine, we we walked to our I think like a seventh or eighth grade school dance, and he had convinced himself that you could get high by smoking incense. Ugh. Oh god. So we had these little like incense cones uh, that were like trying to smoke uh, before the dance. It's like poison. I know. I don't even know what it is. And then like a principal came up and we're like, Oh God. And I ended up like putting in my pocket and patting it. And then, so not only went to this school dance, smelling like incense, not stoned with a huge hole in my pocket from where I burned through. <laughs> not the finest look. Not the finest. You probably
1: look. I, you probably could get wicked high from
0: smoking fucking incense because it's like <laughs> I mean, pure poison. I a different kind of high. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. I could also like I could smoke my couch. I'd probably feel something. <laughs> you know, <laughs> might still might not be the best idea. Uh, I bet. I bet Chris has smoked. Chris Shiflet has probably smoked something <laughs> weird along the years. Oh, you know, yeah. he said he said his moments for sure. Yeah, something out of a tin can somewhere. <laughs> you don't go on those squat tours in Europe and be in no use for a name as long as he was without without getting into the the dirty business. You know, you know?
1: Um, thanks to Max Huber, who has been on the show. He was mm-hmm. he gave us the mystery friend, but. Um, he gave me this other one that I didn't ask about. You just reminded me of it, which was, he. he's like, you're asking about A, the thing that we ended up asking about, or B, trying to score meth on Polk Street and ending up with crack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's like, I don't know if
0: Chris is going to want to talk about that. And yeah, Prague yeah, sounds more, more interesting
1: anyway. I want
0: to answer that <laughs> to your kids these days. <laughs> That's funny, man. But it was great Chris came on. What a great conversation. I really enjoyed talking to him. Oh. What a...
1: Long a, of a lively
0: dude. spirit, a lively guy. You know, he just has like a bubbling kind of personality. I wanted to talk to him longer.
1: Yeah, Chris is on the ball. He's 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 got stuff to talk about. And uh...
0: I I got a funny story though, Brad, that I saved for the intro. Okay, let's hear it. Are we too far into the intro? Should I save than, it for the intro. than smoking your uh... <laughs> smoking some incense, smoking crayons, and incense. <laughs> so. So you know, uniquely Gaslight got to open for Foo Fighters a couple times. Um, you know, we played like some festivals with them, and then had had a, a couple shows. There was one in um, in in Italy. It was like this crazy show on a giant like compound. You know how it is. Like you know, a band like that just brings like they bring the show. Right. You know what I mean? Like you don't need a place with everything. They got everything. Yeah. They got this huge production and. Uh, and then I think, you know, a day or two after we played a show in Madrid in Spain and it was like an arena show. So obviously this is just a unique experience. Anyway, I'm at an arena in Madrid, Spain. It was my wife's birthday was around then. This is like June or July, 2011, somewhere around then. And we were feeling pretty sprightly, even just like being there, you know, that's something like and we never really got used to shit like that. Like right. you know, you're in a backstage at an arena in Spain, opening for one of these bands, and it's just like Jesus Christ, like it's baller dude. What happened? <laughs> like this is wild, you know. Uh, so it was kind of like a party night. We randomly had our friend Andy Diamond, who's a sort of notorious New Brunswick guy, show promoter, great guy, and we used to bring him on tour. Uh, he didn't do anything. <laughs> Um, he would just come, he had no touring skills. He couldn't change his string or drive or, you know, he just came and made people feel good and he was feeling frisky. And I think he had some beverages and even before the show, we had, we kind of hatched a plan to do something funny. We're like, we're the punk rock band at the arena show. What's going to happen? So the decision was to put Andy diamond drunk in a gorilla suit. To to intro gaslight anthem at this show, so like we're the first band. Not I mean, not many people know who we are anyway. And you know, the arena's opening up, and we're about to play. And we sent like a little of five foot four Italian guy from East Brunswick, New Jersey, in a gorilla suit up onto (laughs) the stage to just speak random letters of English that made no sense, and kind of hop around and scream the gaslight anthem. It was fucking hilarious. (laughs) So the show is fine. Like, I don't know. There's nothing too descript about the show. The thing that really stood out in my mind was, you know, after the show, I let myself let loose a little, had some drinks and I'm hanging out and me and my, you know, then girlfriend, now wife, like go out into the crowd. And, you know, it just had been a long time since I'd been in like an arena show environment. I mean, it might've even been since I saw like rush when I was a kid or like something. And, automatically I got really like lured into the experience. And after just a few minutes, I'm like looking around the crowd and I'm watching the Foo Fighters. I'm like, wow, this is like, it's an electric fucking show. This is like magical. There's like something going on here. And the one thing that really stood out to me is like the Foo Fighters and maybe Grohl specifically, there was not like a person in that arena who didn't think Dave Grohl wasn't talking to them. Right, You know, I'm like walking around this whole place, you know, hundreds of feet from the stage and these people in like the back row of the upper section, like this guy just had in their fucking hands, man. Like he is that kind of like, he's that kind of performer. And they're that kind of band where like, it somehow felt like a club show, you know, it was like this really just loud, intimate, sweaty experience. And then, you know, you do some research on Foo Fighters, and that's just like what they do. Mm. You know, they are just a fucking powerhouse rock band. Right. Like, and they seem to do this everywhere they go, in like every arena they play, and it's really spectacular to see. You know, and and then you start to break it down, and you'd be like, oh, that guy was in Scream, that guy was in Sunny Day Real Estate, that guy was in No Use for a Name. Like, that shit's cool. Right. You know, and you're seeing that too, like people who kind of came from the same world we did. And then the funniest part about this story is we go outside, uh, after the show, I, you know, there's some, uh, I think we were loaded out. We were waiting for like merch to count out or something. So we had a couple hours, um, and we're sort of by the back where like, you know, there's maybe 50, a hundred like massive Foo Fighters fans, like waiting back there. And, you know, we walk out to, to very little fanfare, you know, obviously <laughs> they're Foo Fighters fans and, uh, you know, we're feeling pretty loose and an American kid walks up to me and he's like, "Hey, what's up, man?" I'm like, "Hey, American, what's going on, you know?" We start chatting, where are you from? Where are you from? He's like, "Yeah, yes, yeah, so what, you know, what do you do like you you know, how do you play music in a place like this?" And he starts asking me these questions. I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, this, this, this." He's like, "Yeah, how do you guys do this and this?" And I'm like, starting to put it together and I'm like, "Oh." I'm like, "Wait, this these, this is a strange line of questioning." And then he asked me one more question and I figured it out. And I had to like ask the kid, I'm like, bro, I don't want to be a dick. I'm like, you know, I'm not Dave Grohl, right? <laughs> 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 and the kid's just like, uh- Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah, of course. Like, yeah, like, so, so what else are you doing tonight, man? Dude, the whole time. I was sitting there, like, in the middle of the conversation, being like, this is, this kid's weird. This is a strange line of questioning he's asking me. And yeah, it turned out he thought I was Dave Grohl the entire time. (laughs) Pretty funny, huh? I guess I was a little slimmer in those days. I think I'm much taller than Dave Grohl, which. Which made me think this guy wasn't the biggest fan. You know, right. it, it's like, you know how I don't know if you experience this at all, but like, if you're like the one American kid in like Dusseldorf, Germany, and like the American band comes there, yeah, like it's like, oh, we're American, and like I love everything. You know, I love Nickelback, so I love you guys. Like, <laughs> there's no what kind of music you're into anymore. It's just like these people in a different place. So. I think he was a, Mm. a, you know, a novice Foo Fighters fan who was, you know, playing off to be a bigger one, and actually thought my fucking dirty ass was Dave Grohl after the show. (laughs) I was even amazed. I'm like, how do you, how do you think he got out here so fast? Like, how did he shower and get out here so quick? And why does he have no security? I'm like, you know, you should put this together, fella. Newbie, newbie to the whole scene. Newbie, but pretty funny. And then it definitely became a joke for a long time. Where people just like randomly walk up to me and be like, yeah, you're not Dave Grohl, right? <laughs> <laughs> like all my friends and my wife and shit. I yeah. mean, I kind of look like him, I guess. Was it just the long hair and a mustache?
1: Yeah, there's some, yeah, you know, if you don't know him or if, <laughs>
0: <laughs> look for the guy with the long hair and the mustache. Yeah. Pretty funny though, huh? It is a funny story. I'm glad you told it. Yeah. This is a long intro. Sorry to anyone who tuned in just to hear Chris and just heard me and Brad for 15 minutes. You know what? It's my podcast. Go fuck yourselves. Um, <laughs> but please enjoy this interview with Chris. It's, it's delicious. It's going on
1: track! It totally oh. splits them up. And not only that, but like we're recording the wave files too.
0: So they're not MP3s. Oh, wow. I would recommend. Brad, that. I feel like you could get a professorship now in you podcasting know, like, yeah you could probably get like some some guest professorship hey, dude if jonah is teaching doing podca- i know <laughs> this is like it's a thing now i don't know if you know that a lot of people have podcasts i wasn't aware of that yeah the a couple
1: i Chris,
2: tell you prof- professor professor worrell sounds awfully like hogwarts-esque dude I my like dad that. was uh, a professor
1: there is a nice. professor Worrell. yeah my dad was a professor
0: Nice. Do you know, Chris, do you know that his dad is a biblical archaeologist?
2: No. But yeah, I, know, I, yeah. I know who I'm going to next time I want to argue about religion.
1: <laughs> not me,
2: dude. <laughs> I'm going you for – you're going to be my one phone call for backup.
1: <laughs> we'll call my dad. We can call my dad.
2: All right. There you go. Because <laughs> I'm not –
0: not, uh, didn't, it didn't take <laughs> – <laughs> I, I heard that the other day that someone, it, it was on a sports thing and that that famous uh, celebrity chef Dave Chang w- won a million dollars on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, um, you know, raising money for f- food service and stuff like that was a good cause. But he had to uh, use a sports writer named Mina Kimes for, for his phone a friend and I couldn't help but think, I'm like, wait, who do I call? Who Who would be like the person I know who just has uh, well versed knowledge in, in everything basically. Who would yours be, Chris? Who would you go? Who's your go to phone a friend if you were on the program?
2: That's a really good question. Um, I don't think I know any. I know lots of people that I could go to if it was like who mixed Highway to Hell, <laughs> right? You know, exactly, like, yeah, something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. like I got a deep, deep roster <laughs> for those right. kind of yeah, questions. Yeah, yeah. But for like everything else in the world, I am I, I'm, I'm a little light. Yeah,
1: yeah. I don't think yeah. we, any of us hang out with enough of those those types. Even even this this son of a professor.
2: That's that right. I'm um, a son like, of a professor too. Did you know that? I
1: didn't know that. What's the yeah. uh, What's a professor of what?
2: My dad was a sociology professor um, for, for a time. Interesting. And then, um, and then he wasn't for (laughs) quite a while as well.
0: (laughs) Do you think that has uh, any, anything to do with your, you know, general interest in, in people, you know, like, and the way they, the way, you know, you seem like kind of an observer. It's pretty obvious with the podcast. You're curious about people. Is that from your dad? I don't think so. Cause it's funny. I don't think my dad had that,
2: you know, I don't think oh, that really? was really part of his person. I mean, maybe, maybe it was. And, and I, I just didn't see it, you know, I, I don't know. Um, it, it's a, it's an interesting thing. I, my dad passed away quite a while ago now when he was, he was, in his early 60s. So it was like right after I joined Foo Fighters, my dad passed away, which is... um Gotcha. It's a bummer because like it, he died just a little before I was like really asking the big questions of life or wanting to like, um, mm, right. you know, pick his brain about, well, what'd you do when you were 18? You know, so like yeah, a lot of right. that stuff just kind of died with my dad. So I don't really know like why he went into sociology when mm. he did, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. So it's a bit of a mystery.
0: Oh, uh, well, we'll call it a preternatural understanding.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> I, think I, think for, I think my my curiosity, um, you know, as far as like my own podcast goes, has always been like when it just became kind of clear to me pretty early in doing it, that it was like the only way that I was ever going to wind up just having like a, a a lengthy conversation about a bunch of bullshit with like, Dwight Yoakum and listen to Williams and people like that. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Because right, right. like you know how it is in in rock and roll, you meet a lot of like your heroes, but right. you don't necessarily have a deep conversation with them. Sure. It's like yeah. it's at a gig and it's all crazy backstage and you're starstruck and you know that thing. Right. So um that's that's probably as much a driving force of it for me as as anything. I mean, I just it's funny. I just interviewed Tommy Lee a couple of days ago, you know, oh, wow. from, from the crew. And I I just turned into like I was like 11 years old like just sure. like I just had my like list of everything I always wondered when I was like staring at the back cover of Shout at the Devil or whatever, you know.
0: Yeah, cuz you must have been, I mean, I read somewhere along the line of doing this research that one of your favorite groups ever is Hanoi Rocks. Indeed. So Indeed. I'm sure. Uh, what, so I mean, for someone who's a Hanoi Hanoi Rocks like a you know naturalist, what wasn't Motley Crue like the second gen, like second generation, like no, or was Motley, I mean, Motley Crue well, early enough?
2: Well, Motley Crue was a little ahead. Of, well, as far as like being a kid in America, I knew Motley Crue years before i knew hanoi rocks i discovered hanoi rocks like when they were kind of like they the last album that they made was like kind of starting to break through in america and we would like there was like a a one record store in in galita that we would take the bus out to and they might have a copy of the latest kerrang okay you know so it didn't seem like it came like regularly it was just every now and again so you started seeing their picture pop up in kerrang and and stuff like that, and then MTV started showing a couple of their videos here and there, and and so really, like I discovered my or I discovered Hanoi Rocks right as they like fell apart, because then the, you know that car crash happened, right? Um, but you know, it, it's interesting, like that whole scene and what it and and all the bands that that sort of came out of it, like you know, I grew up a little bit north of of Los Angeles, and mm-hmm. and so that kind of changed. Rock and roll uh, changed the rock and roll scene from like kind of like American metal to like um to like kind of L.A. glam rock, you know. Yeah, and, right. But none of those bands really took from from Hanoi's sound.
1: Well, you that's know, the thing for, look,
2: you know, for
1: people that don't realize, like they were the one band that kind of like actually rocked. I mean, like they had a little well, they, more punk to their vibe
2: than just like glam right well i always i always thought of it i mean if you think of like the og glam rock stuff if you think of like new york dolls and obviously like right. ziggy and t-rex and you could even throw like Ali, the original alice cooper band maybe could get thrown in there and and um and uh you know maybe like slade and and motha hoople or whatever you know like those bands weren't heavy metal bands i mean right. that's a pretty wide range of sound and a lot yeah, of them sure. were way more just kind of rock and roll you know um I think a New York Dolls is just like straight up rock and roll band, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. and not heavy metal at all. And so, to me, you know, the stuff that that happened in L.A. sort of post Hanoi Rocks, like, was way more influenced by like Aerosmith and stuff like that. Right. Mm. And whereas, to to my ear, Hanoi Rocks had a much more like almost like just I get because they were European, it just sounded more European. You know, it was more like major key, minor key, not so bluesy, you right, know?
0: Right, right, right. Um
2: almost like, you know, if the damned were a little more colorful or something.
0: You right. know? I yeah. kinda of thought right. of them that
2: way. Um so yeah, I don't know. It was just different. But um
0: and what what like, what like what year about was that switching in LA? Like
2: I like I mean I think two steps from the move came out in eighty four and it was like right after that that I started seeing flyers and ads in bam magazine for bands like you know guns and roses and poison and um jet boy and faster pussycat and all that stuff came along and la guns and you know there was all those bands around and so you know i think i think that scene was that was an interesting scene i mean because i'd started going to gigs when i was in junior high and started going to see you know as i was going to see heavy metal bands you know if they came through Santa Barbara, we'd go down to LA and go see bands and stuff. And then when that shift happened and kind of like, I want to say like 85-ish, right around there, I'm fucking C now, man. I, I get the dates wrong all the time. <laughs> Take it easy
0: on yourself, you know? I mean, I know for people of, you know, our age and above, like, we talk about 1985. Like, oh, this is, 19, this is a long fucking time ago now, you know? It yourself, really was. No, it wasn't it really that long was. ago. No, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> Benina, oh, no. it,
1: was yeah. just, it was just, it was just, I just still remember. some of it
2: it's it's really funny you know i mean i've talked about this before like like i my as far as like what like a lot like it's ridiculous how much i revisit the early 80s sort of before that Mm. more than almost anything else like if i'm going for a run you know that's like the almost the only time i listen to music now is if i'm like exercising um, right, right. or maybe if I'm in the car, but if I'm like exercising, I have to listen to something kind of up. And so I always listen to like, you know, I just sort of scroll through the, the, um, you know, like stand up and shout by Dio or, you right. know, it's like always something <laughs> right. like that, you know, yeah, I, yeah, like, yeah. I, I, I need something like that to get my heart racing.
0: But those, so, but what age were you when that stuff was coming out? I feel like there's always this comfort zone that people find in music and it's, and it's probably like that that few year window when it just like became yours, you know, like whatever that music was, it doesn't matter. It it became yours. There's some awful, awful hardcore stuff that I go (laughs) back to. And I'm like, Oh, let me give this a test run. It's been about 20 years since I listened to this seven inch. And I'm like, fuck, that's (laughs) not good. You know, like, well, you you know, it's funny is like nine, like
2: a lot of like the punk rock stuff that I was into in like the late 80s and through the, you know, well into the nineties. I trip out on that. Now, when I listen to it, like how shitty those records, it's stuff that I like, but it sounds like considerably worse than the stuff that was maybe recorded even a few years earlier. It just
1: doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's like, yeah, there, so was, a terrible, so, yeah, there was a band. terrible transition into the eighties when like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that somebody has studied this and found a reason for it, but it was like, it was almost like they were trying too you hard. that's that's what i'll be a professor of (laughs) professor
0: of early 80s recording techniques i i truly think it was like the process of people beginning to be able to record more economically it wasn't economical
1: in the 80s still i mean there was like eight tracks that were economical but it wasn't you still had to go into a real studio
0: right exactly like even when i started recording music in like the early 90s you know, recording studios and recording, it was still, it was kind of unreachable and it was hard. You know what I mean? You needed money, you needed time, you needed like, and that's why, you know, putting a demo out at that time was like having an album because you actually like managed to make it to a studio and lay it down. So I, I do think there's something to that. It was like the process of, and every studio at that time was owned by someone who was like big shit in the 70s. You know, Mm, like they, they, when I was going to those studios, it was all dudes who were like 12 years past their prime in like 1978, (laughs) you know? So I think it was part of this switch between like, uh, you know, recording being this, uh, sort of elusive thing that was so hard to get. And then, you know, what we have now, which is like, you know, your laptop.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, it is an interesting thing. I mean, I, it's, uh, I, I wasn't around in the in the early '80s for that way of a punk rock, you know, like. But you listen to like, you know, the records that I like from that era, like you know, Adolescence and Agent Orange and Social mm-hmm. D and TSOL and all that stuff. And those records, to my ear, still sound really good. Right, TSOL you know, well like,
1: records sound great, dude you put on like,
2: I don't know, like a no use for a name record from the early nineties. It doesn't <laughs> sound so good. You know?
0: <laughs> what happened? <laughs> I mean, well, for reference, like where, where was the first, like no use for a name music recorded?
2: I don't even know. You know, I mean, I didn't come in until, uh, 95. So right, they right. had already had a few records under right, their belt. Right. Right. Um, but it is funny kind of what you're saying. I do remember that being a thing. like, Oh, yeah, man, this used to be like Boz Skag studio. <laughs> right. Yeah. And haters, you know, so, like, um, yeah, you know, I,
0: I remember those kind of rooms being around. They all had one claim to fame, right? Like somebody yeah. who graced that studio about 13 years before. This was the recording console that, that
1: Leonard Skinner's Freebird was recorded on. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Totally, totally. Why are there all these
2: Tommy Two-Tone gold records on the wall? Right.
0: Dude, his cousin used to engineer this shit. Well, speaking of which, who, who and what was Legion of Doom? <laughs> How do you even know about that? Come on, yo, I go for the cuts, dog.
2: <laughs> wow. That's, that is like, that can't be on my Wikipedia page, but it is um, not. No, I'm it's gonna not. Check. Legion of doom was a band that, um, that I was in for a minute, uh, in 10th grade.
1: <laughs> and, it,
2: and it was, um, it was the second band I was ever in. The first one was called the lost kittens. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but uh Legion of doom was me and my friend Mark and my friend Jeff played drums. And, uh, and my friend Chris Gillette played bass. And we did like, I think we did one gig. But it was quite a gig. And it was a gig that in some ways, you know, really like was, had a huge impact on me. Because we were the first band. This was the first like club gig I ever did. There was like this uh, this pool hall in Santa Barbara okay. called Golden Eagle Pool Hall.
0: Nice. And the,
2: the lineup, this is a fucking sick lineup. It was Legion of Doom. Rat Pack, who mm-hmm. uh, I was not in, but soon became the bass player in, and, and they were like local Santa Barbara punk rock band that had a seven inch on Mystic Records and everything, and
0: okay, you know,
2: and that was cool. Um, and then No Effects, it was oh, okay. I, I want to say it was No effects's first gig in Santa Barbara, and then they yeah. like at least a couple of them moved to Santa Barbara for a little while, so that would have been my first encounter with No Effects, um, and then. And Dave Casillas was in Rat Pack at the time. And then right oh, wow. after that, he joined No Effects. Right. Um, and the headliner was that man, Excel. Oh. oh. So that was like not only my first club gig, but I'm, I would guess that had to have been the first like proper punk rock gig I ever went to.
0: Wow. Legion of Doom with a, I mean, you guys are one for one. Yeah. I think there was a brief there's we had a brief
2: um reunion a couple of years later, but it didn't last long. I think we played like one kegger out in IV and that was it. <laughs> oh,
0: it's so funny. Legion then, yeah. of Doom didn't get to didn't get to
1: record in a in a shitty recording studio.
2: No, but Legion of Doom did make a really shitty Fostex four track demo. Nice. I do remember that. And I <laughs> wish I I might have that cassette in a box somewhere. I don't know. But I remember that was that was the first time I figured out that if you just take the the cassette out and just put it in like a regular cassette player you and you listen to it see i had no concept of mixing at that point
0: right yeah so you
2: just put it on and it only plays like two of the four tracks because the other two are like on the other side (laughs) you're like what the fuck where'd (laughs) everything go that doesn't sound like what we did
0: right and
1: one is left and one is right and it's like this sounds like the first ramones record
0: yeah it's insane (laughs) mixing was just volume at that point right yeah So what, like, what was the connection between, you know, the years from, from, from those years to you, you know, getting a job at fat and getting involved in that scene? Like, what was that jump like?
2: There were a lot of years between those years. So I, you know, I, I, um, I moved to LA at the beginning of 1990 with a couple of friends and like our high school band, Kinda of moved down there. It was me and Luke that was uh, the the singer in um, in Lost Kitten, singer, guitar okay. player, um, and one of my bestest friends. And we moved down to L.A. like you know to try to like make it. And what we didn't count on or didn't understand was that like rock and roll had completely died oh, by like,
0: right.
2: like we moved there at the beginning of 90 and it was in that weird gray period between like oh, right. you know, all the sort of sunset strip rock and roll thing was was really dead and the next thing was kind of bubbling up but wasn't 100 percent there yet you know right, right. so um so then I, I lived in la for like you know about like five years or so and like during that time in the early 90s like you know I mean you guys were around The like, music just changed a lot and sure. um and the punk rock thing was was you know I I think of like like it was really like like Bad Religion and Social D coming back around right yeah in the late 80s that really kind of like kicked that whole thing off and and then NoFX turning into a really good band you know by the early not late 80s early 90s you know so that whole thing was going and i grew up with joey from from Lagwagon, and um so i was sort of a uh, a spectator of it you know i see yeah wait
1: joey was from santa barbara too yeah
2: yeah joey's oh, I, from santa La, lag wagon's uh, from santa barbara oh yeah uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah i
1: didn't i didn't know he grew up there that's okay oh
2: yeah no joey when we were kids was like he was a few years older than me and he had a car <laughs> and, uh, and he was just like a, well, he just always had the latest best record, like nice, whatever right. the latest best record was, he had it and, and we were listening to it in his car. So he That's was awesome. like, I mean, Joey really had like a gigantic influence on, I think a lot of people from Santa Barbara, mm. uh, musically, you know, That's um, cool. yeah. And, uh, and certainly did on me, but like, he was like, in a lot of ways, he was like a huge gateway to like, you know, he'd. I'd go with him to shows down in LA all the time and stuff like that. But, uh, hmm. but yeah, so we were pals and, and I, and I sort of like, you know, I was never like close friends with fat Mike or anything through those years or like when, you know, when, when no was in Santa Barbara and, and after that, but I got to know him really through Joey eventually. And, um, there was a point in what year was it? It was 94. Four or so where me and Joey were talking about putting together a band and he, you know, it'd be like his side band um, for him. Right, but right. Um, but I wasn't in a band. Like, I moved to LA and I played around in bands and did that whole thing for a while and, like, never got a record deal. And, and then uh, there was a point there where I was working at the House of Blues um, in the publicity department and working a lot and not playing in a band and kind of not super stoked on life you know yeah right um and uh and joey was like dude why don't you move let's move to san francisco i don't know where joey was living at that point but he was like let's move to san francisco and get an apartment we'll put this band together i was like fuck yeah
0: i'm sorry just for reference how old are you at this point well this was
2: the beginning of 95 so i was 23 still okay so you know i mean i've been out of the house for a minute i was like an adult um and uh and and right about that same time is when uh is when Joe Sib was in that band Wax and yeah. they were they had a song blown up on the radio and they were going out on the road with Mighty Mighty Boston. So I went out on for this month long tour roading for wax. Oh, no that, shit. Yeah, it was killer. It was Wax First, face to face, and Mighty Mighty Boston's headlining. it was like wow. a month long. And that was my first time ever on the road, and I was so fucking jealous of like I was green with envy at that point that like all my friends were touring and and your doing brother the whole thing.
0: too, not uh, only right.
2: No, this was this was, so at that point he wasn't in face to face. Oh, was, okay, okay. That, and there's a there's a funny story attached to that too that I'll get to, but like Great. um uh so anyway, I do that tour, and then me and Joey moved up to San Francisco, and through that he helped me. You know, he put in the good word. For, to for me to Mike and Mike hired me at fat records nice. and I worked there for like a minute. And, and, and then that's what led to me joining no use for name. And then, and then, you know, things were off to the races. But, um, I was, when I was in no use for name, like for about the first, you know, probably almost the first year was the original ba- bass player. Steve was still in the band, but there was like a lot of tension between him and Tony and, and, um, and I kind of like got in the middle of that when I joined and, and, um, and then, no use for a name, like parted ways with Steve and Matt from face to face had, had left face to face. So we got Matt in our band and face to face replaced Matt with my brother.
0: (laughs) That's how that came to be. What beautiful nepotism there. I know. Right. (laughs) And is it true when, when you join no use for a name, they just like walked into fat and you kind of like overheard they needed a guitar player.
2: Well, I mean, I didn't really overhear. They they came in, the three of them, and their guitar player, Ed, had just quit. And uh, and it was right after Lecce Concarne came out, and that record was doing really well. And they yeah, were,
1: yeah.
2: They were buzzing, and they had to leave for a tour. They had, like, a tour booked, you know, that was started the week after. And uh, they came in, and they were, like, talking to Mike, and Mike comes out and says to the whole office, he goes, hey, look, you know, no use for names, guitar player, just bailed, and, you know they need a guitar player, and they're going on tour. And if anybody knows a guitar player, let me know. Like they need a guitar player, right. and I just sat there like, fuck. And I, and I like I didn't want because I didn't want to lose my job. I didn't want to be like oh, I'll play guitar. Like I had just gotten hired there. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? right, sure. Um, and it was it was cool. Like I was working at Fat Ray was fucking rad. It was like yeah, that was like yeah. the center yeah. of the scene that I thought was like the coolest thing in the world. Yes, yeah, so you weren't moment.
0: trying to play yourself out like like that. Yeah, already. I mean, yeah, I, sure. You know, and it's and it's funny because then
2: mike i didn't say anything and then they left i don't remember exactly how this happened They, or maybe i don't maybe they went to lunch or something mike came up to me and goes hey dude that's cool that you like i get it you don't want to lose your job or whatever but um but i know you're a guitar player and you should do this you know oh cool and so he totally gave me the blessing And then I I don't remember how this happened, but maybe they came back in. Somehow it got around that I was, you know, in the office that I was going to go try out for them. Like, I, you know, I had to go audition. And um, one of the other guys that worked in the office came up to me and goes, dude, you're you're so fired, dude. You are so fired. Dude, when Mike finds out that you're going to audition for them, you are fucking fired fired you blew it and i was just oh, like no. oh <laughs> fuck yeah, you yeah.
1: <laughs> but didn't lag didn't lag also like need a new guitar player like shortly after that didn't they turn over guitar players what, what year was that
2: they did yeah because um not too long after that was when chris rest joined lagwagon right yeah.
1: and you okay oh, so that was probably after you're already in no use
2: yeah i was already in no use at that point and okay. like we never even discussed me joining Lagwagon, but I did fill in a couple a couple gigs here and there. I remember, as a matter of fact, the first time I ever toured Brazil was um, was filling in for Chris Flippin because he oh, okay. at the last minute couldn't go, and it was like a week long tour down to Brazil. And so I just, you know, jumped in and and subbed, right? Which was fun and wild.
0: So when you're when you're working at like House of Blues and you're working at Fat, what what was your relationship? with the guitar, like at that point, were you, you know, someone who was still plugging away, like trying to improve um, or I mean, you, you like, like where was that in your life at that time? It's so funny, man.
2: I really, I would love to sit here and tell you like, well, I was home, you know, working on my craft. <laughs> right. Yeah. Permitting demonstration tapes to the top <laughs> artist, you know, like, but I was such a lazy fuck, dude. I just felt <laughs> I like, I played guitar like, because it was fun you know right, what i mean like right. i mean honestly don't get me wrong like i wanted to like make it and be in a band and tour sure, and do all that sure. shit. i'm not i'm not gonna pretend that that wasn't a big thrust but i i really became more um i don't know like like i always played my guitar you know but like i i like i wasn't really like a songwriter or anything when i was younger it took right. i didn't really start writing songs till like you know, my late twenties, I started trying to dabble in that. And it was a mm. funny thing. Cause I was like, you know, so late on the freight that I was super self-conscious about it for a long time. Um, and, uh, but yeah, no, I was, I was a fucking lazy jack off in my youth (laughs) i look back at being young i'm like god i wasted so much time sleeping (laughs) why why did i do
0: that i I could have been fucking doing all this shit and now i'm like like, yngwie malmsteen now if i just woke up two hours earlier yeah Yeah, with like (laughs)
2: fucking like a thousand song catalog or some shit you know what i mean but i just slept through my 20s and my teenage years when i had all this time and now i've got like kids and responsibilities and shit like i can't be
0: Yeah, you know, I, I would. You know, it's interesting when you when you do a little research about you, and you know, I've learned a lot more about you know the personalities of you know the people who play music doing these interviews, and you know, there's a there's some people who you can see because of like the way their their life played out, and you're one of them. You just seem like a cool guy to be around. Oh,
2: you should interview some of my former bandmates or current (laughs)
0: ones. (laughs) Uh, Yes, just go on. (laughs) Uh,
2: (laughs) I don't know if I'd get glowing reviews from everybody. Let's just say that. It's an acquired taste. I think I've become become a worse person to be around the older I've gotten in a (laughs) lot of ways for lots of people. But um, I will certainly say that the one thing I did really well and worked hard at really all the time when I was like young and struggling and trying to get there and all that shit was, Mm -hmm. and I think this is actually, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be a goofball here, but I think this is really important for, for like rock and roll and stuff. Um, Conolingus. I was always, I was a (laughs) baby. No, I was always the, I mean, and Brad can attest this. I was always the last guy at the bar, man. Like I was Uh, fucking, I hung around. dude. I I was was the last
1: guy at the bar.
2: Well, we I'm were all the last guys that at the you bar. You were the
0: last guy there.
2: So you were the hardest you know thing. I mean?
0: You were the hardest thing. Like,
2: yeah, I was, dude. I was. If if being in the right place at the right time <laughs> means something, then you know, then I was trying to. Like, I wasn't consciously trying to do that, but I was out and about and fucking like, you know, in a way that is so foreign to me now as a forty-nine-year-old man. <laughs> right. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, you know. There, but like, you know, I really was like, like you, cause you gotta put, you gotta be out there, man. You gotta be like yeah, in the, in right. the, in whatever scene is your scene. You gotta be a part of it. You know. Sure, sure.
1: Benny's lawyer, who was once my lawyer said to me, the, like probably the most valuable information. She said, the music business is the people business. Yeah. And it's pretty much true of any, she was like, people want to work with people that they like. And it's yeah. kind of true of all businesses, but you know, yeah, that's what it comes down to. You got to be, a f- you got to be around and, you know, and people want ha- to, you know, they want, they need to want to hang out with you.
0: Well, if you're unlikable, you just better either be making money or be really good. And then you can still have a career. You can be a lawyer. You can be a fucking lawyer then. <laughs>
2: But that is, but that is a really big part of it. Like you got to be able to like be in confined spaces with your bandmates over long periods of time and not drive each other nuts. You know, you sure. got to be able to hang in the van and no one to be loud and no one to shut the fuck up and and all that stuff is those are those are important lessons that that you learn just by doing it.
1: You but know? you know, sure. Benny, I should tell you this, Chris, I saw him punch one of the most famous publicists in the face several times. <gasps> And this was right during when he first started working with them. <laughs> you know who Steve Martin is? Yeah. He's literally like, you know, he's, he's a monster. He's one of the biggest publicists. And shortly after Chris had joined the Food Fighters, I watched him. Pummel
0: Steve several times in the face. Is this like like Fight Club style? Like we all have an understanding, or was this was this a blow up?
2: It it kind no. It was definitely not a blow up, but uh, but it might account for why Steve Martin never gets me any press. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, see, it's it's funny. Around the time I moved out to New York, you know, right after I joined Foo Fighters, and I had been boxing a little bit back in San Francisco, and so and Steve was into boxing, and so he hooked me up with his trainer when i moved to to new york and we were both training in the same gym and you know a lot of gyms like have like white collar fights so they were having one and and our trainer was like you guys should should fight each other um, i'm sorry
0: what's a white <laughs> collar fight just for i'm not sure white, what you're talking
2: white about. white collar fight is for like hobby boxers like me you know uh, okay, i mean i think okay. they call it probably comes from like you know it's like some wall street guys or whatever like right, right. going and 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 sparring or whatever but um so we did that and uh and I'll never forget there was a funny thing uh after that steve was um and of course you know I mean we've worked I've worked with steve f- for a long time being in the foo fighters and stuff and he's a, a friend and I'm totally not talking shit here but uh but but, he, <laughs> but I am talking shit he uh, so we 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 do it and I mean, I gotta say that was the first time I ever fought in like a white collar fight and it was so much harder than I thought, dude. I was like right. out of gas right away, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just like, oh fuck, this, this is hard. And then, um, but my, I was just starting to date my wife, who who's now my wife at the time. We okay. just barely started dating and a photographer friend of hers came down to the fight and took these really awesome pictures and, and I remember Steve, um, you know right after the fight was like hey do you want to write like a story about the fight for I don't remember what magazine it was but you know what is some magazine I was like oh cool yes yeah. so I like wrote a little thing and I go here you know I have this great shot from from the fight you know you use this for for the for the article and it was like you know I just looked all like raw you know <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and it was this beautiful like pro shot and then I'll never forget, the magazine came out and Steve used a, a shot of him punching me in the face. Oh. <laughs> yes. that's,
0: that's what he wrote. I was like,
2: oh, you son of a bitch. It's like <laughs>
0: vulgar display of power. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that so was cool. a hard lesson in the entertainment business. <laughs> right, right there.
0: Right. Uh, speaking of hard lessons, I, I, I did see one story and it, it alludes to what you were saying before about not everyone thinks you're that cool. And I guess it was a hard lesson you said getting chewed out by one of your famer, former bands and band members in Austin, Texas. Um, oh, shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's not really a fun story. I don't want to get into that. The thing that it made <laughs> me think of was, you know, and even with some friends of mine recently and people I play music with, this has been a conversation over the last couple of days, which is, you know, what is the thing, the engines that like, make these bands keep going and make them keep going in a happy way and make, you know, people stay engaged in the same goals and engaged. And the one thing from the outside, because I don't know him, it seems like Grohl is kind of just like a great band leader. You know, it seems to always be like happy and engaged members. And and I'm what, just wondering for you, like, like what's his style of like presenting information and communicating to all to like, make you feel that in that engaged and that, that happy about what you're doing?
2: Well, I think, you know, like to get back to the the thing you were talking about down in Austin, like that was like, that was on a, um, a solo tour that right. I did, and you know that's a very different dynamic where it's like right. even though everybody's friends more or less, like you know I'm hiring a band, sure, sure, and sure. it's not, and and you I, you just said something about everybody being invested in, like nobody's invested in the same goal, <laughs> right, in that yeah. situation. So you know that was that was a tense thing that um, that you know, it was a shitty situation for a lot of reasons. Cause we had like a whole, that was the, that was day one of a week of, of oh. South by
1: Southwest, okay. you know? And then, okay.
2: and then like a couple of weeks later we had like a two week tour of, of the UK and Scandinavia. So like, I mean, that was a really good, like that was a good moment for me to have to just like keep my mouth shut, you know, mm. to the best of my ability. Cause I sure. could have because what I felt like saying in that moment <laughs> was very different than what I, I, I internally, I was going, I could blow, I could just nuke this whole thing right now. Yeah. But then I bet I got all these shows, you know, right, and right. you know, I got commitments, you know. See, I kind of um, eat,
0: eat crow a little bit.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know? Big time. Big time. And that's, that's, you know, that's not a necessarily a good feeling, especially when you're the guy fucking, you know, paying for the whole thing.
0: Yeah, <laughs> like, right, right. You know I, like, like, I, get, yeah. I get to pay for this and I get to not say shit. This sucks. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> so, but, but you know, as far as Foo Fighters go, I would say a huge thing, and this is true, I think, for any band, like forward motion mm. keeps keeps bands happy, I think. You know, like forward motion, like we're always doing something and building on the past and like, you mm. know, like there's like... You know, knock on wood, like, we haven't had, um he, I mean, he, things just seem to kind of get better and better in in, in Foo Fighter Land for the for the band, you know, right. the way the band's, like, perceived and commercially and all that stuff. So, like, you know, I think Dave does a really good job of, of you know, he's a guy that always has, like, a million crazy ideas and then actually, like, figures out a way to pull them off. And <laughs> right. And that kind of thing keeps keeps it moving, you know. Like I feel like the Foo Fighters have never really stagnated, right? In that, sense, you know. And um, but you know, like like it's a big band with a lot of people. There's a lot of moving parts. So you know, if you're not in the room, you don't necessarily catch everything that's happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like right, it's not right. like like I feel like people always ask me questions about it. Like like it's like you know like there's every day we have a meeting to go over the <laughs> right, agenda right. we're going to do x y and it just doesn't yeah, work that way sure, you know what sure. i mean like if you're there you're there and if you're not you you miss it and and that's how it goes
0: um, this is your daily foos briefing
2: yeah you know what i mean so right. like but um but i tell you man it's it's a uh, it's a trip right now with all you know with with the way this year has been and um and you know we had made a new album that was finished and mixed and we we're supposed to go on tour and then everything you know came to a screeching halt and then now we're working on putting the album out and it's um it's so strange you know, i was just talking to somebody about this like i have i'm so in my own bubble like i don't really really listen to like the radio ever and
0: <laughs> right yeah i don't
2: you know what i mean i don't don't read the same shit that anybody else reads. so i have no sense at all of, <laughs> of of how this new record campaign is being you know
0: <laughs> right.
2: be, met by the public or you know i mean i don't know sure. like. A, got some good feedback from the SNL thing and that's all good. And it seems like people are pumped on it. So, you know, fingers crossed, but it's a really weird time to make a record because you don't have the immediacy of going out and playing shows to get a sense of anybody likes your new shit or not. You know, right. Yeah. It's
1: not really like there's anything else going on to distract people from it, like a new record, you know, like things are pretty dead. Yeah, I mean, well,
2: it's <laughs> yeah, me <laughs> except, except except for like you know Civil War and uh you know
1: <laughs> the, the um, pandemic. <laughs> you know, there's one. It since we're since we're here with the pandemic, um, you know that. So Benny and I have been doing this all through the pandemic, and like one recurring theme with a lot of people is like, because it's mostly musicians, you know, is like everybody definitely misses kind of interacting and being on the road, but they also pretty much universally have had this sort of guilty pleasure of being like, Oh yeah, it's nice to have a break. Like I'm really digging, like staying home and chopping wood or whatever, you know, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah, is that your experience? I mean, you're a pretty busy guy anyway with like the podcast and your solo stuff, but yeah, no, totally. Because I mean, if, if,
2: when I sort of think back over the last you know many years because i've been kind of bouncing between you know we'll do a foo fighter record and do a tour and like you know somewhere in the middle of that i'll go run out to nashville and make a make a record and then between foo fighter stuff squeeze in some touring and something i've been really like kind of back to back to back to back for for a long time now and it's it's been really good to be home um Especially with like the age that my, my yeah. kids are all at, you know, is, exactly. is like fantastic. And um, what so kind of we've posse able- you got over there? Oh, uh, I got three boys uh, 17, 14, and 12. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, like a so, basketball team. <laughs> I know for real. Yeah. <laughs> well, you throw throw my wife in there. And you know, that's we got. Yeah, you got
0: them. a starting five yeah. right there. Yeah. Totally. Perfect. Yeah. yeah
2: no uh but you know it's it's uh it's been really good it it's funny my kids are are funny, I always wonder like you know, of course, they've grown up with me being gone a lot, so right. I think that's just baked into the cake, you know for mm. them, but i always but they're just funny, you know kids are funny, you just don't know what's kind of what's registering with them and what isn't, you know half the <laughs> time. <laughs>
0: Which one of that crew, like, you know, do any of your kids think what you do is cool or you're just nerdy dad regardless? Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I I think if anything, at least at this point, like what I do pretty much guarantees that none of them want to go anywhere near playing music, (laughs) having anything to do with it.
0: Is that good for you? Okay for you? (laughs) I
2: mean, you know, I'm torn. There was we 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 made them all play piano and guitar and stuff over the years, and there was a moment there, you know. There was a couple moments here and there where I thought, you know, they were all sort of, you know, get gonna gonna get into it the way that that I did. But you know, I like at the end of the day, I just want them to have something in their lives that that they're as, you know, that they're that they have to have the way that I had to have music, you know. Mm Um, so that's what I want more than anything. I, I'm not going to lie. Would I love it if, if they were all like, show me how to play that Randy Rhodes lick? Like, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, Sit down they're going to be yeah. Wicked, yeah.
1: DJs. <laughs> wicked DJs, wicked yeah. DJs.
2: Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I mean, they're, they're all really into music and, but you know, nobody think they, they listen to hip hop. There's, there isn't a lot of right, guitar stuff right. in there. So I have that, you know, what I do is not what's cool to them.
1: Right. <laughs> So, Benny, since you brought up the foos, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to relate my early memories of Chris. Because we essentially lived together when you joined the band. Yeah. And we lived on the sixth floor of a (laughs) walk-up. And you know what? Like, what I perceive the biggest perks to being in the Foo Fighters was that the UPS guy had to fucking carry, like tons of heavy free swag up the
2: <laughs> do you well, remember you know, all
1: the shit that you got during like that first year
2: yeah those are the good old days <laughs> when you would just get like a giant duffel bag filled with all the latest hurley stuff or dude, whatever you know right, what I mean? right 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 duffel bag dude he brought yeah. up
1: like a fucking karaoke machine
2: <laughs> you know what you know brad i'll tell you something funny i never realized in those years that you could have the guy that drove the the car service carry your bag up like i didn't know that was a thing uh-huh. and uh and so i would come home from tour with like my biggest suitcase just filled with shit that i collected <laughs> from wherever we've been and I have to fucking like pull it up that you know what i you know what i didn't know back then when i lived in new york how stupid is this I'm such a like West Coast ding dong for not ever figuring it out. I didn't know you could get your groceries delivered. Yeah. I would <laughs> I would walk to the to the market that was like four or five blocks away and then carry bags full uh, of groceries
1: home and then have to carry them up those fucking six yeah. flights of stairs. The man. stairs were brutal. They were definitely yeah. brutal. I felt bad for that poor guy. He also brought up you you like an electric scooter? Do you remember
2: this shit? Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) And then what did Chris
1: do with all this stuff? You used it to pay off, like... You paid people
0: with. It. We're not supposed to, We're not supposed to talk about this out loud. Oh, this is a long time ago. I, I think you're free here, right? This is, yeah, this is long enough. I'm not mentioning go, any you know. brand names. Hey, it, it all remember. went
2: into the into the you know the black market. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's Right.
1: I think somebody painted your room and got the karaoke machine for it. It, <laughs> it could happen. Could Whatever. Happen. You
0: should sell that stuff. I mean, it's crazy. You know, the, the bigger and bigger gaslight got like the freer shit guy and it never made any sure. sense to me you know i'm like i have fucking money now yeah. you know where the when hell you were you young and five broke. years ago like, when you
1: really needed a karaoke machine nobody
0: was no giving karaoke you. machine
2: that's right that's right where are all the free guitars when you're 16
0: exactly you know <laughs> i guess you have to earn that stuff what a what a load of shit um, <laughs> so I, I wanted to talk to you. I mean, a little bit about like your your solo stuff now. Brad, did you have did you have anything else from the old days? <laughs> sure, <but a laughs> going while. down memory lane. Is it time for our mystery friend? Mm-hmm.
2: We got a mystery friend. So mystery sure friend
1: do. is when we essentially prompt you for a story that we I neither of us were at, and um, you give us fill us in, and then you need to guess who the uh, who the mystery friend is who who told us this story.
2: Uh, okay, so all right, I am can I guess before I hear the story? Yeah, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna go with Johnny T. No, he just seems like I the obvious candidate.
1: I would not. <laughs> I would not put you on the spot, buddy. All right. you
0: know. <laughs> Once this turns off, I'm asking stories about whoever the fuck Johnny T is, because that sounds fun. <laughs> this story,
1: all I have is a graveyard party in Prague.
2: Oh, oh yes. Oh, uh, I, I I well now I know who told you the story. I I absolutely know who told you the I'm story. I'm sure you do. But uh, but yeah, that was that was on a uh no use for name tour in of Europe in nineteen ninety seven. To this day, one of the greatest tours, like, funnest tours I've ever done. Definitely the only one I've ever done quite like that. I remember we were we were over there for um, 42 days and did 39 shows. Woo! Um, which, and we went everywhere, and a third of that was in Germany. So, I mean, we went right. to, like, every small town in Germany that you can imagine. <laughs> um, but, I, but, yeah, that night we wound up in a... Um, in a graveyard in Prague. And the best part of that story, I mean, it was super fun. We were all fucked up, you know, running around. It was, like, me and and probably a couple guys from No Use For Name and, and a few of the guys from um, from Swinging Utters. And I don't remember if suicide machines were there or not, but we, we like, went into this creepy old graveyard and took all these photos with, like, the in the tombs and all this stuff. But all we had was, like, some shitty, remember those, like, disposable cameras from back then? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we got all the photos developed, and it was just our faces, like, brightly lit with the flash, and you couldn't see the background at all. (laughs) Right, yeah. So there's really no, like, uh, no proof of any of it. But um, Okay, so if I have to guess who told you that, I'm going Max Huber. I know. Because he was there. Yes. It could have been John Bush, too, because he was there, too. No,
1: you got it. It Um, was Max. I, I thought I had a lock. On you though, dude. Because you know who I met this morning for the first time. Who? Justin J. What? And you gonna, just met Justin for the first time. Yeah, and I'm gonna give him some props. How's that anyway, I don't know. I don't know. I can't. I don't think I've ever met him before. I mean, Kath obviously has and has known him yeah. for a long time. But yeah, I don't. I just met him for the first time this morning. His kids go to my school.
2: I know. I know. I thought, That's that I crazy. Thought,
1: all right. So maybe you would have guessed him. I was. I was. I hit him up for a mystery friend. And I just hit him. I just hit him up too late. I thought this would be, uh, this would be the one.
2: But, I was actually just on his podcast. He has a fantastic podcast too called The Plug.
1: Yeah, we should plug the plug let's, Cause he let's did, plug the plug. Because I did hit him up, and uh, yeah, it looks good. He's got some really cool, diverse guests that I am yeah, definitely yeah, going to check sure. out some of those um, some of those shows.
0: Brad, what's going yeah. on in this high school? Your 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 this school your kids go to school in. You have all these this He's web village, of baby. connections via He's school. Village. <laughs> Man, is this what what you pay for living in tiny apartments in New York? It's a public school. Yeah.
2: I tell you, man, school school parent life at your kid's school is such a trip. It really is. Can
0: you guys give me any tips actually while I'm here? so So I'm just cracking this for the first time, right? Like my kids are three and five. They're both in the same program. And I'm just starting to see these communities form you know what i mean the emails are coming yeah you know they're asking for some stuff from time to time what is the approach here because i feel like being totally you know uh totally mute and totally black is rude and does nothing good for your kid but i do i'm getting the sense that if i go too far in i might not ever get out So, well, yeah. So here's here's what I learned over time.
2: When you're, when you first have kids, you're like, oh my God, it's a miracle. Look at our little miracle. And you, and (laughs) you, and you start taking your kid to like baby group. That's the first thing. Mm. And you meet all these other parents and they're all like, we have our little miracle. And everybody's like, yay. And you're super open (laughs) and you just want to become friends with everybody (laughs) and talk about your kids. And Mm -hmm. that pretty much keeps going like all through preschool. You're like, can you believe these little geniuses, you know, and all that shit. And, um, and you make all these friends and pretty soon like 99.9% of those friendships just fall by the wayside. Cause then you, all your kids wind up going to different schools Mm -hmm. and then you just don't see any of those folks anymore. And then you get into elementary school and in elementary school, at least the one that like my kids went to, um, you're still very involved and you go in and you know the teachers and, and you you meet all the other parents and you sit around. And so you still, so then you have all those relationships, right? And those, right. and you're still pretty open at that point, but you're starting to get a little cynical about the whole thing. You know, like <laughs> right, preschool right. has started to ring you out a little bit, yeah, you know what I mean? Okay. And through elementary school, um, you know, you're still kind of like in it. By the time my kids got to, by the time my oldest son got to junior high, I was beginning to get a little checked out of the whole like, yay, we're all parents together thing. <laughs> right. Um, you know, like, and, uh, and, um, you're like, uh, I don't
0: need this community.
2: Yeah. And it's funny because I kind of found like, well, it's not so much. I don't need this community. We did make a lot of really good friends sure, sure. and like our kids, our kids go to a K through 12. So like, um, oh, and it's okay. a great school and, and we love it and all that stuff. But, um, but I think that you're just, you're so fired up when your kids are young and you're first going through it that like we found like we knew my oldest son's grade of parents pretty well. And then it's sort of diminishing returns for, you know, the younger you get. And like my youngest son, I didn't know any of those parents. Right, like, right. You go to like the sixth grade school project and you'd be like, I don't know half these people. How have I never? We've been in school for six years together. Like, <laughs> I don't know who any of these people are. Um, But uh, but uh, uh, all that said, then when when, you know, once your kids get into middle school, then you stop being kind of involved in that way. You just drop them off and you don't. Don't go in and you don't. And, and then you really miss it. Then you're like, fuck, I never, I don't know my kids' teachers. I don't see any of my old parent friends, mm. you know? And you're like, and so you spend that last little part of elementary school kind of like grinding. And then when it's gone, you're like, oh, shit, that's gone. Mm. And it ain't coming back. But I'll tell you what I did do a lot through the elementary school years that was great and i highly recommend it and that is fucking parent band if your school has one ah. do it <laughs> we had a great parent band at my kid's school because you know it's la and you got all these musicians and sure, right. you know and even some like actors that are musicians and and uh and then just a bunch of parents that are hobby musicians you know and everybody right, was right. pretty good and, and we would do like a big gig once a year and those were always really really fun and i always kind of like looked a little crossways at at the parents that didn't do it. Like, <laughs> fuck, why why isn't the singer from Muse in the fucking parent band, man? What do you got better to exactly. do? You know <laughs> Oh, you, too you good know, for us.
0: You know, man. You know, yeah. you
2: know, oh, you can't come play the fucking
1: Bruno Mars song yeah. at the assembly, yeah. huh, bud? Yeah.
0: Okay. Like, I play stadiums too, asshole. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Chris, you're gonna love this, but
0: so a couple of years
1: ago, the principal who has, we, we've got, yeah, we've got like the parent band. We do like fundraisers. He actually organized a battle of the parent band for the <gasps> East. Ooh. So for the last, wow. like, I think we did it for the last three years. Actually, that was the, that was my last night out before they locked down everything for COVID was the battle of wow. the bands. And we won for the first time in three years. You won. You really? took it. Yeah. Reigning it.
2: champion, wow. man. Fucking. What what sick of all sick of it all song did you play? What <laughs> <laughs>
0: are you doing? Scratch the surface? That was Injustice the- System. <laughs> we did a bunch of like we did a bunch of
1: like fucking like total like sixties, seventies jam rock tunes
0: and nice. it was interesting. Nice. But uh, were you drinking IPAs on stage? <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course, cold <laughs> IPA for all my kids. But
1: Benny, if it happens next time, it happens, you're gonna have to come judge because that's the thing. Is I always tap my you know quasi celebrity and in- industry friends to come be judges at it.
0: I'll do yeah. it. Can't I'll do it for friends. you. I had one experience judging a battle of the bands, and I I think I'm out. Oh shit. <laughs> I think I'm out. Even it's, though I I honestly I quite dug a few bands and it's like more, it's more fun than you would think because it's there's just, there's a couple things I found from it that make me not really equipped. Okay. And A is like the people who seem so, like this idea they gave you a microphone after every band, like you were supposed to fucking critique right, them right yeah, after.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And I'm like, there is zero chance. I'm sitting up here in front of a bunch of people critiquing these fucking bands. You crazy. I'm like, I'll give them a score, but I'm not telling these kids like what to do. You know what I mean? Like I'll never present myself in that way. And that's why the battle
1: of the parents bands. It's all for it's fundraiser. It's all for fun. And you just be positive. You just say some nice things. Is there pizza pizza? you i'll get pizza for you for All right. sure. is yeah, that I'm do there.
2: you think that the, is that like born out of like um american idol culture or something I'm sure it is
1: well hasn't there always been like battle of the bands i mean i remember doing
2: yeah, one i mean my in first the sense band. of like Trying to get Benny to like, well, you know, I felt like the oh, presentation yeah. <laughs> was a little off, and
0: yeah, probably. you're probably right. It was. I think it was post that, like, like they used to just hang, like, you know, pick up a scorecard, like the NBA slam dunk competition. I, well, but it's also like that, you know. You're the judges
1: are the most famous people in the room. You know what I mean? Like,
0: right? I mean,
1: right. we've got a few quasi celebrities in the some of the bands. Definitely no Foo Fighters and no Muse
0: people, but uh
2: I'll I'll do it via Zoom if you want. <laughs> yeah, that would yeah, be the way
1: the next go. one gets
0: done. <laughs> There's only one I, I, guy. I gotta be honest though, I did nail one person in my judging, okay? And it was cause the guy he, he was playing in this like three piece that kind of sounded like like motorhead or something. It was real fast. Every riff was like dun dun down dun down dun dun dun, dun dun dun, you know, those cool like hot beats and stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And I mean, homeboy was a tapper, tap, tap, tapper. You know, he was barely hitting his drums. And then I saw him complaining to, you know, some 16-year-old sound kid about the levels of his monitors, and that's the reason he couldn't play well and stuff. And that's Mm. the only guy I gave the business to when I was on the (laughs) microphone. And I said to him basically just like, listen, fella, if you can't hear it right now and you can't get through this experience, I you're not gonna do it. You're not gonna do it, kid. You know? <laughs> you, you can't pull it off at Porta Pizza in downtown Jersey City. You're not gonna pull it off at like, you know, a squat in Hamburg or something like that, wherever you gotta go nice next. Nice job. Nice job. Yeah, but, that's
2: a funny thing. I I think about that sometimes like like that. Um I, and I don't remember this exactly, but there must have been, you know, when you first start playing gigs, you don't have monitors. There's no, no. You know, sound for stage or anything, you know? And and then you hit that point where you start playing in clubs where they're like, Hey, what do you want in your wedge? You're like, uh, I don't know. uh <laughs> can I get more, can I get the hi-hat in there? Like you're like, right. you're asking for the wrong shit. <laughs> yeah, you <know>? yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just the DI off the bass um, or whatever. I don't know. You yeah. know, like, just some wrong shit like uh it's it's funny but that that really is a like it's an important part of performing that nobody ever really talks about that much is your on stage mix
0: right? yeah that's true yeah. that is yeah. something that should be yeah that would be cool to like what well, well, what's that being said what's your mix like on stage what do you like to hear Uh,
2: it's different in different things, you know, in Foo Fighters, I need, because there's like 800 of us on stage and we're louder than a fucking jet plane. (laughs) Um, I need a lot of kick and snare so that I'm, you know, that I'm keeping it together. Like I really am listening mostly to Dave's vocal and Taylor's kick and snare okay and and in addition to that i have a lot of me and not a lot of anybody else right you know because i just start getting confused i start losing you know where i'm at or you know losing where the one is sometimes if in those in you know the in big venues it's like cavernous and you get like sounds bouncing around shit so i just like a lot of kick and snare dave's vocal and my guitar are you on
0: uh like inner (laughs) ear systems for Foo fighters
2: no, I tried that for a little while and we're just so loud. Like I didn't feel like it was good because all I was doing was just turning it up really loud. Yeah, and thought, right. probably like worse for my hearing yes, in the yes, long run. Yeah. You know, so I just I wear earplugs and I just I crank it up in, in my in my wedge. And that's about it. But like when I'm going out and doing solo gigs, if I'm playing in a like a bar, you know, I play little, you know, small little bars and shit. So um, and they usually have crappy PAs. So I pretty much usually just put my vocal through it and let everything else come off the stage. And then if it's, you know, if I'm playing a solo gig and it's somewhere that actually sounds good and has a good PA, then I'll, you know, just kind of like put a little bit of everything in there.
0: Yeah. Start adding a couple of things. Yeah. I I wanted to ask you about that with your solo shows. Like, you know, like, as you said, a Foo Fighters show is a, it's a fucking freight train, you know? Um, Yeah. And, and I know you really try to harness kind of a different environment for your shows so how do you like peel it back and and keep it simpler? And do you ever have to like catch yourself like you're you're in kind of like Foo Fighters mode and you're trucking forward and you got to be like no 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 like like chill out.
2: It's like you know honestly it's a work in progress like um mm. because I'm be besides Foo Fighters I just always played in really loud bands with right. big loud guitars and everything screaming. Um and for my solo stuff if I'm playing with a full band you know it just doesn't sound as good if i'm all if it's all too revved up you know mm, so right. i've i've gotten more and more comfortable um playing it more laid back and definitely playing it quieter And, uh, and, and, you know, where you can like hear your vocal and stuff more. But I tell you, one of the best things I ever did was, uh, a couple of years ago, I started playing a lot of acoustic shows, just me and Uh, an acoustic guitar. Okay. And that, that'll keep you honest. Yeah. Right. right.
0: That'll
2: really keep you honest. Um, that exposes the weaknesses real clear.
0: I mean, as far Um, as what, do, do you think that exposes the most vocally or? Oh,
2: vocally for sure. And, yeah. you know, it helped me a lot to become a better singer because I was always a really shitty singer and I always wanted <laughs> to be a better singer. And I was a, and really the biggest problem for me. You know, you could just kind of got the voice that you got. But um, but, you know, and sort of within that, then you can try to, like, learn a little bit of technique or whatever to. To help and i would just when i first started saying i was doing everything wrong just tight screaming hunching my Mm -hmm. shoulders up putting everything through my throat just like if it was wrong i was doing it you know what i mean and it was because i was so i just wasn't relaxed so playing the acoustic shows like it just you can't hide and you have to like breathe and fucking Mm. push from your gut and do all that stuff that 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 is gonna make it sound a little better. So I I've come full circle on it where I love doing those shows now and I, and I never did. And I always wanted to, so I just started doing a lot of them and it was um, really, really super humiliating at times, (laughs) but, um, but it, but it helped, I feel like, you know, and it certainly helped in the sense of just like getting
0: comfortable in my own shoes, you know? Sure. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. You know, you made a pretty, you know, hard pivot, you know, from the outside, you know, from the worlds you were in to kind of the world you find yourself in now with your solo stuff. Um, when you were kind of doing that and making that turn, were, were you nervous about like the acceptance from your your peers in, in you know the new world and more of a songwriter country kind of world? And and how did you how did you reconcile that? Like personally, yeah, I mean, it, it's it
2: definitely. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I ever worried too much about, like, uh, I guess you kind of do worry about what people think a little bit, but, like, I just knew I wasn't very good. You know, I knew i like, I'm, I'm like, I just knew I wasn't very good. I knew I wasn't a very good songwriter and I knew I wasn't a very good singer. And I knew when I went out and played, it just wasn't very good. Like I just, if I'm being honest, I just knew that. Okay. Cause like I was, cause I was pretty good at guitar, you know, and I was in like a really good band and I'd been in other good bands. And so I knew what good sounded like. I right. knew that I wasn't right. that good, you know, <laughs> I just knew it, you know. Um, and, uh, and so a lot of it was just, just you know, kind of woodshedding and like, like just trying to be a better songwriter and, and, and work on some of the other stuff and try to just get more comfortable. And, and with, with the performing side of it, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, I love, I love the rush of it. I love the thrill, you know, I love like when I go do my solo thing, it's like the closest thing that I still have to feeling like I'm in ninth grade playing my talent show where you're kind of like, I hope this fucking works. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. right. You know? Um, (laughs) It, and, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I just, that's, that's like the part that I dig about it is, huh. is, is it, is just the evolution, you know?
0: Have you found like the country scene? I know you play the, like the Grand Ole Opry and did stuff like that. Have you found that world like pretty accepting and open?
2: I mean, yeah, yes. Yes and no. Like, I mean, I'm, i like, I'm not going to pretend that like I'm successful as a solo artist. I've gotten to know like a lot of people in Nashville and a lot of people in, in not only in like the Americana world, but like, um, but in the mainstream country world too. Um, and people are cool, you know, the like, fuck there's, I mean, it's such a, that Nashville is a, a crazy town of just incredible depth right. of yeah. musicianship, yeah, you know, like, um, and I mean that on all fronts, like the fucking greatest songwriters and the, the just absolute best players. Oh yeah, know,
0: you go to karaoke in Nashville and you're like, Jesus Christ, like, y- yeah, yeah. And it's 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 humbling. And
2: I sort of come, you know, I've I've been lucky because I'm in a popular band that I can kind of come in through the side door and mm-hmm. and and um, you know, I don't kid myself. Like if I was just Joe Schmo moving to Nashville to try to make it, I wouldn't make it. I'm I'm not good <laughs> enough. You know, like I, I I'm not even going to pretend that I am. You know what I mean? Like, um. But like, uh, but but no, people out there. You know, I've got a lot of good friends out there now, and and uh, and and I dig it. I I I dig that. Dig all those scenes. You know, I think there's something to be said for for the range of country music. Yeah, it's sure. a really interesting thing. You know, I've 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 always noticed this. Like, country music people are they? You know, all, all musicians kind of love everything. You know, <laughs> but like country music people really are like like. Know all about rock and roll and everything. Rock and roll people think that all of country music is Toby Keith. Yeah. It's fucking <laughs> yeah, weird. Right. I'm like, sure. it's really, it's like one of the last things that you can sort of like beat up on and make fun of. And I feel like for most of the time, I mean, every genre has its sh- schlocky shit and of it's course. pop, yeah, and it's whatever. But like, I. I honestly feel like country music is, is really kind of misunderstood, like the Mm -hmm. depth and the, and the, and the, and the quality of just like the the art form, you know, it really, it's, it's a very different thing than, than rock music or any other genre. And it's, it's, I just feel like it gets sneered at a lot by people that don't really know what the fuck they're talking about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah, It does mainly because, you know, the audience, I think now, and also modern country is 80s pop, right? But, I yeah. mean, I mean,
2: yeah, a lot of it, sure. Yeah, but I mean, what's modern rock?
0: Yeah, it's, the same shit. it's
2: yeah. like, this, what's the difference? I
0: listen to those modern country songs, and I'm like, this is just the same song I heard on rock radio with like a slide. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, and and, and,
2: well, and even a lot of times they don't even bother with like the the little banjo over it or whatever. <laughs> right, you know what yeah. I mean? Nowadays, yeah. um, but whatever. There's the like. There's a lot of stuff in in modern country that I think is fucking great though too. I mean, I love it. Like Eric Church, Brothers Osborne. I mean, there's a lot a lot of stuff that's that's good. My point is, it's just like any genre. You know, I don't like most of any genre. But the good stuff is fucking great. And, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. Country
1: is still the home of the song. You know, like that's really 100%. That's, the,
2: yeah.
1: that's what you can't, you know, if you know anything about music, you can't make fun of country because it's still, it's, you know, it's like that's what rock is. Rock is the rhythm of, of, of like blues and, and kind of that rawness and the fucking songwriting of country. Like that's mm. what, that's what we listen to now on pop radio. It's
0: interesting.
2: Well, you know, I, I defy you to like spend a little time with Merle Haggard's catalog and then say country music is shit. You know what I mean? Right. It's just, I, I'm, I i do not know. I mean, but whatever it's, it's just music. It's just all, you know, opinion and, and what you do. I think and, it's got something to do with right.
0: exposure too. It's one of the unique things about country is, you know, I'm born and raised in central Jersey and by New York city And fuck, like I can't find a country song on the radio, you know, like I I cruise through and I don't even see one. And then when I start touring, you know, and I'm even, I'm not very far. I'm like three, four hours south. Now I'm in Maryland. And all of a sudden there's a bunch of fucking country songs on the radio and it's kind of part of the narrative. And somehow, you know, for whatever reasons, I think country music kind of got uh, maybe politicized you know, where, oh, sure, you know, yeah. you know, for people from the Northeast or something, you all, all you think about is a Confederate flag, you know, all yeah. you think about is something like that. And it kind of got put into that box. And then it's just this blanket like, yeah, whatever, you know. Um, so I, I do think a lot of it for people, at least from where I'm from, it's just exposure. I don't even think they have an opinion. You know, it's, it's like right, not even a formed right, right. opinion about it. They just don't even right. know about
1: it. No, that's true. Yeah. That's
0: true.
2: I will tell you, it was really funny when, when my kids were really young, um, they were, they were, they just kind of listened to my records and they kind of went through phases of like, you know, there was like a long kiss phase, you know, there was like <laughs> a green day phase, you know, there was like a hives phase and ACDC phase, you know, they just kind of went through that stuff. And they were really into it and we'd get in the car and they'd be like, play I Was Made For Loving You or whatever, you know? (laughs) Uh, And then if I tried to play anything country, like my kids didn't know what genre was, you know? Right, right. Uh, They were too young, you know, to really understand what the genre differences were. But the second I would put on something like a Buck Owens song or something. They'd be like, no country! <laughs> <laughs> they just had this, like, visceral hatred of country music. Huh. Right? And it wasn't from lack of exposure, because I exposed them to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it is so funny, man. Like, they just, they, they instantly hated it. Well, There's
0: something in the Matrix about let, it, I guess. Let me
1: ask you this, because, I mean, now they're teenagers, so they probably hate everything. But, like, <laughs> I mean, I saw you with Dead Peasants, right? I think the first time... That I that you must not have been doing it for very long. That time in Austin, remember I drove out. You had this gig out in the middle of nowhere, and I drove oh, you back yes. to the city. I had a minivan because I was down there working.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was and, that like a, when we were down there for South by Southwest? Probably.
1: Yeah, like the Foos were yeah. playing that night. But I I didn't really realize what I didn't. I knew you were doing a solo thing. I had no idea what it was, and I went out there and I was like, oh well, fuck. I was like, oh, Chris is, this is like, Chris is like Mescalero. It's like, he's just doing this mm-hmm. as he's got a great band and he's like, just trying to like have a blast with it. And it was fun. I mean, I like a lot of this, you know, I like the stuff you covered and I like, and I liked the band stuff, but I got to say, like, I'm going to blow some smoke, dude, this new record. I really like it. I, I heard like the, I watched the video when it came out and then I just kind of let it go. But before, um, you know, when you said you were going to come on the show, I went and listened to the whole thing and I really like this record and I can't figure out totally why <laughs> I, I can't totally figure out what it is, but um, it sounds really cool. And I, and I, and and I just wondering if your kids like it because it's a little more refined. And it doesn't sound as hokey. Maybe. No, they
2: they don't like it at all. Right. Um, it, it's funny. Like, like with the, with the dead peasants thing, you know, we like, I had never, I didn't grow up listening to country and had never played country. And so when we were doing the Dead Peasants thing, we were just a cover band for a few years. Because I was like, I just want to play these songs that I like and try to figure out how to play them, you know, and how to be comfortable playing them. And, you know, not like we were trying to be like uh, some like, you know, refined, smooth Real vintage country band we we're just kind of like doing it like you know what what does Buck Owens sound like played by a g- bunch of guys that grew up listening to Kiss? you know right. What I mean? right yeah um and that kind of thing but then with with my with the last couple solo records I've done you know i've I've definitely like you know those aren't cover records you know and and I've put a lot of a lot more um a lot more effort into them and a lot more effort into the songwriting and um and then you know working with dave Cobb out there it's like that has a huge impact on it right. you know okay um, and you know it, and it's not like like those records aren't like country records per se they're just right. kind of like country country rock or country influence whatever you know it's americana whatever you want to call it um but yeah no that definitely didn't win me any points with with my kids and it's funny cuz one of the songs on on my last record i wrote about my son like having his first girlfriend and it's totally like not the truth
0: or anything. I just sort of inspired
2: by that moment. And uh, I don't think he thought that was too hip at all.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He'll appreciate that later in life.
2: Totally. Well, see, that's the funny thing. Like, that's what I'm assuming is going to happen because it's kind of what happened to me with a lot of my dad's records. Is like, Mm. I hated the music my dad listened to. And then when I hit like, you know, I don't know, 25, somewhere in there, I was like, whoa, dad listened to like, he had good records yeah. yeah yeah stevie wonder was actually better than the shit that i was listening I to you know i know i Bob this, was yeah. actually pretty damn good you know yeah. like um oh, it's, like it's funny f- i f- f- that moment with i had hundreds. a classic
1: moment with my dad where i was like listening to like a kiss record and he you know came in and looked at it and was like what is this why do they have to dress up you know and like yeah, yeah, and, yeah. He, and then he said something like you know chuck berry can play a lead while he's Doing a split and bending over and touching his head to the stage. And I'm like, whatever, Dad, get out of here. And he this is I'm like 12 years old. He leaves the room, and you know what I did? I went over to the Chuck Berry record and I pulled it out. And I'm like, No Man. shit. And there's the picture of him doing the split and touching his head. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, this is fucking cool as hell. I tell you
2: a parental music moment that I never forgot, and I giggle about it still, is I remember being a kid and waiting and waiting for the new Ozzy Osbourne video to come on MTV. And it was, (laughs) it was Bark at the Moon, yeah. And this was, this was his first record post Randy Rose. Randy Rose was like our fucking idol. And we were like so pumped and waiting for it. And I remember it came on MTV and my mom was sitting on the couch behind me. And I was just like, I could, I was like practically crying. I was so stoked, you know? But inside, I knew it was fucking ridiculously shitty. Like, I knew it. Like I wasn't—I couldn't bring myself to admit it, But it was like he's in a fucking tree dressed as a werewolf. It's like the dumbest thing. It's so not scary, you know what I mean? And my mom just sat on the couch laughing her ass oh <laughs> off. And I was just—I was so pissed. Fuck you, mom. You don't yeah, get it. You don't understand, Fuck Ozzy man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's too Classic. good. All right. There's, there's something I got to uh, just, a f- you know, it makes more sense that you mentioned that you did some boxing. Um, Cause I couldn't for the life of me understand, like out of, you know, I'm looking at your list of podcasts. I'm seeing like Lucinda Williams and, you know, all these great artists. And then out of nowhere, I'm like Manny Pacquia? like Where <laughs> yeah. the fuck did that come from? You know? And then I listened to a little uh, of the yeah. episode. So please. Just walk me through, like, that must have been just a ridiculously weird situation. Can you tell me oh, what it's yeah. like, like, going to his house and, like, what's happening over there? I mean, I've been around
2: a lot of celebrities or whatever yeah. over the years, but I've never seen anything like Manny Pacquiao's house and his entourage and the way that the whole thing sort of worked was like, I mean, it was, it was something else, man. I mean, it was really fun because I'm a huge fan and, um, and a huge boxing fan. Um, and you know, I've been lucky to like, you know, I interviewed, uh, Robert Garcia before oh, that, Okay, okay. Freddie Roach and, you know, cool, some people, cool. um, and boxing is a funny world because like, even like at church street, you know, like where, where Brad was talking about coming to that fight, like, you know, when you hang out in, a, in almost any boxing gym, especially in a big city, you know like pro fighters come through there so it's it's not right. like other sports like you can encounter the best fighter in the world on any given day at uh. fucking church street you know and he might sure. be doing a public workout or press workout or some shit like that you know um in a way that you're not going to necessarily necessarily run into fucking Tom Brady or whatever. You yeah. Know? Like I'm not going to uh, see
0: LeBron at the YMCA. Yeah,
2: exactly. You yeah. know what I mean? And you, and you get those moments in boxing. It's fucking cool. Um, but yeah, so I, I know, um, Manny's publicist and okay. he hooked up the interview and I went over there and, um,
0: and this was and, in New York or LA or yeah, this was in LA. This is okay. LA. So He has like his one. own compound in LA too. Yeah, he's got a house, you know, okay. uh,
2: in L.A., and and um, I've never seen so many people, like, in an entourage. <laughs> okay. It's like the whole – it almost – I swear to God, it almost seemed like people were walking in off the street to take selfies with him. Oh. Like, people would just walk up to him to say, hey, can I take a picture? And he'd take a picture, but it was like – it was like you were on the sidewalk outside of your hotel room. Like not like in your house. It was yeah. fucking weird. Okay. Um, and I I go over there and i got my little you know, my mics and my laptop and I'm and uh and I was kinda of like, Okay, we're not gonna, you know, just hold on, just hang on a minute, you know. Hey, man, man, he's not ready. And he's kinda of like doing a photo shoot or something. And he's like, Okay, you know, man, he wants you to have lunch with him. And so we all go sit down. There's like a hundred of us at some table. And I'm not like having a conversation with him or anything, you know, and he's over there and all these people and we, we have lunch and and eventually um, I interviewed him. And while I was interviewing him, there would just be like people would come up and like film it and like stick their cameras in your face and his face. And, uh. and there's people ever. It was so unlike like that's like the exact opposite of of every other interview I've ever done. You right, know, where right. you and the person, It was like so much energy in the room. And he was really nice. But like, you know, he's a pro like he definitely wasn't. He, did, he didn't like, uh, he didn't go there. I tried to get him to go there on a couple of things, and he was not taking the bait. So, um, yeah, so he, you know, he was cool, but and then at one point, they had told me to bring a guitar, and and um, I think I wound up like, it was so weird. But I think I played him a song at one point, you know, <laughs> and, I'm, and while I played him the song, I'm like, you know, maybe Manny Pacquiao knows who the Foo Fighters are, like, he probably does. Right. I don't know if he's band or anything but he definitely don't don't he ain't listening to no fucking chris shifflett songs Wait, did he
0: like <laughs> oh, demand you know? a song like you
2: play for me
1: no
2: now. no 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 oh, okay. i mean not really <laughs> I grew up on, you know you know and, and so i'm sitting there playing like i grew up in a west coast town i'm just thinking like he doesn't give a shit about this like <laughs> come on what are we doing <laughs> um and then i think he played my guitar a little bit too and then oh and he, then j- he jammed a little like, a little bit yeah and it was like a four hour day you know wow. it was Like it was, uh, it was, it was nuts. It was cool, man. I'll never forget it. That's for sure. Definitely the weirdest interview I've ever done until this one.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I mean, he's essentially like, you know, he might be like the president of the Philippines soon. So right. You, 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 uh, this, this might branch you into like, uh, you know, more of a political journalism career now, Chris.
2: If, well, if you see me become like the uh, Filipino Minister of kick, <laughs> kick Ass Rock and Roll, uh, you'll know where that
0: came from. <laughs> I do believe that's a cabinet position. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think it could be. Could be. It is down there. Yeah. What's um what, So when you're at home, like with a you know a number of kids, what's like a what's a Foo Fighters songwriting process like? Um, you know w- like in what shape do you get songs and and uh when do you get to start like putting putting your work on them
2: well usually dave will go record a bunch of ideas you okay. know and he'll just he'll just make demos just by himself or maybe him and taylor will get together and record a bunch of demos or whatever so usually at some point there's like you know you'll get like a uh, you know, nowadays, you, well, it used to be a CD, and now nowadays it's like a Dropbox. Right? Like, here's yeah, yeah. 25 new ideas. You know, and and normally we'll like jam on them, and and they'll evolve. Um, this new record, we there was, we would sort of jam on them right before we would record them for most of them. Okay, so there's a little less like pre-production stuff, but and then it's really just like most of the time, it will start with Dave will lay down a. um a guitar track like a just a scratch track and taylor will get a drum part you know get a drum track on and then we just start building off that usually dave will put his guitars on there and then i'm usually next or pat you know either me or pat usually goes next and then nate is in there and and then rami and then and then dave will put vocals on it usually last and that that process is usually about a week per song oh
1: wow it's kind of okay i kind
2: of what it works out to you know um, and, uh, and yeah, so like when I'm putting guitar tracks on there, I'm usually, I don't really know what the vocals doing. So it's a little huh. bit of guesswork.
0: Interesting. Yeah. And,
2: um, yeah. And so, you know, it's, it depends because, you know, like the, you might have like the entire band sitting on the couch behind you as well <laughs> as the engineer yeah, and the producer really. and the crew and everybody, um, or it might just be me and the producer and the engineer you know sure and uh and or any you know version of that you know uh, it's funny man being like being in a band like our band has really like i was so freaked out by that when i was younger you know about having to kind of get up and and work out a part while everybody's sitting you know while you got like the chorus of people behind you like Short order of cooking you. Sure no, not. don't do that. Yeah, do that. Right, don't yeah, do yeah. that. Do that. No, do this. Do that. Yeah, you know, like yeah, yeah. that whole thing. But I kind of, I really dig it now. Like I kind of thrive on that. Like it's, it's a, it's a, it's just how we always do it. You know, so it's like yeah. you got to, you got to just kind of jump into it and just roll with and, it. Uh, get comfortable.
1: With yeah.
0: It you know?
2: And there's always like, I'll bring in like, an idea of what I want to do, but that always changes based on what Dave's thinking and what, and what the producers thinking and, and, you know, what whoever else is on the couch is thinking. And it just always gets banged into something else.
0: And have you been writing songs with Dave so long now that you, do you feel like you kind of have an idea like what he would want to hear or, or is it, is it super open in your head when you're going into it? Oh, it's really interesting. Like, you know, I've been in the
2: band like 21 years now. Yeah. And we've made a bunch of records. And, yeah, I, I think I do have a pretty good sense of at least maybe not exactly what he's going to want me to be playing. But I know, generally speaking, what he doesn't want me to be playing, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Okay. Um, so, you know, I know certain things to, to maybe just not do. What's something uh,
0: that'll never make the cut with
2: like a whammy Uh,
0: bar something like that
2: oh yeah whammy well maybe i mean that almost could make the cut i don't know (laughs) sometimes like like, there's a couple tracks on this new record that i was like wait what you want you want me to do what oh really Uh, okay yeah you know what i mean like because there aren't really a lot of like leads in foo fighter songs and there's a couple on this new record that i was like oh okay you want me to go there let's fucking go there right right um and uh and and so stuff like that but you know it's hard to put a finger exactly on what not to do, but it's it really depends on the song. Right. You know, I sort of I, I was going to like figuring that like a pretty high percentage of stuff isn't gonna wind up in the mix, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like it's just the way that goes, you know. Right. And what and, and the things that get in there, you know, are hopefully some good stuff.
0: That's cool. So you don't so you you're not really like living and dying with every part. You're just like, you know you're in there, you're creating the best thing for the song and then just see how it plays out, kind of? Well, it's a trip. Like,
2: with the way that we made this new record, because, you know, we made the record and then everything shut down for months. And then we right. got back together and we and were rehearsing and stuff to get ready to do some performance stuff for around the record. And I had to go back and, like, kind of relearn the songs, you know? Mm-hmm. And you got to figure, like, I'll, we didn't do a lot of pre-production, so there wasn't, like, it wasn't, like, parts that I had, like worked out over weeks or something. It was like parts that you just kind of figured out in the moment, right? And then I'd listen back to the song and be like, oh, I don't remember what the fuck. I did on <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. if I don't even know if I'm on this. You know what I mean? Much less <laughs> like, like if maybe I did that thing. That sounds kind of familiar. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they, there's always that too. Like you get a mix back, and there might be fucking. 20 guitar tracks on it. You're like, I don't fuck, I can't even tell what any of them are doing. Yeah, you know, I just right. Do some version of it, you know, that, that <laughs> sounds right. You, you guys know? need
1: like one of those, like, uh, what do you call them, like an orchestrator to come in after the fact and kind of like <sighs> chart it out. Okay, you're going to play this part. You're going to play this part.
2: You know, seriously, <laughs> it, it wouldn't surprise me if at some point we get with the, there's like the Foo Fighter MD. <laughs> 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 you
0: know, like, uh. There's one thing I I wanted to talk to you about while I had you here, because you're in a a unique position to answer this question. Uh, You know, and I've asked this question to a lot of people who are not nearly as, um, uh, as well-versed to answer it as you are. So you've basically, as you said, you've been in one one of or the biggest hard rock band in the world in the last 20 years. So where do you see the future of hard rock? Like, like what things like should stay and are undeniable and what things should we get rid of and changes we can expect? Well, you know, it's always
2: nice when like a strokes moment happens. Mm. Like I, lo- I love that, you know, because there, there always seems to be a, a back to basics kind of stripping away of the
1: right.
2: of the excess, you know, thing, and then that happens in various ways, and it's always different, you know. Like Nirvana were that at one point, you know. Like, sure. I mean, people probably don't remember it this way, but Guns and Roses was that. Oh yeah, you know. Mm. Uh, but uh and in that whole strokes i mean there's always kind of those moments you know the punk rock was was that you know the original version of it um so i don't know i mean i don't want to talk shit about other bands and what they do and i always figure like if 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 people have success good you know god bless them it's it's a tough racket and not a lot of people <laughs> do but i know what what appeals to me and what doesn't and i i just don't i'm not a huge fan of um most like modern rock, modern heavy rock, mm-hmm. you know, it's just not a sound that appeals to me. Um, really ever, you know, <laughs> yeah. I and I love, I love like my old heavy metal records. I love classic rock. I love all that stuff. You know, I don't know if it's just cause I'm, you know, getting old. Um, cause you talk about this shit and you just sound like, you know, your grandpa or whatever, but <laughs> I just, I just, I don't know, man. It's not for me. I like I like my rock and roll to sound like Ronnie James Dio fronting Rainbow, you know? Right. That's that's what I dig. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, it old,
1: comes back whatever. it comes back to the songs, dude. It's I think when genres get too old that people think that the songwriting falls away and it's just becomes about the sound of the genre, you know? That's mm. kind of what it seems like to me.
2: Modern modern heavy rock when I do hear it always just sounds real fuzzy. I don't know. <laughs> It just sounds like oversaturated gain. Oh, guitars, these kids but, you these know?
1: days! It's too so you know, fuzzy. Give What's me the guitars. Give me that, give me that
2: thin, brittle Marshall. I'll take it all day <laughs> long. You know that that difficult, thin, brittle Marshall with not too much gain on it.
1: It is. It is hard to like rock that. Like, I mean, yeah. Listen to the listen to all the early shit when they're playing through like fucking Vox amps and um, totally. Yeah, the there shit. was so much glass in that sound and it was right. so like kind of yeah, it was brittle, right? And uh but it rocked, dude.
2: I mean, I think that there's a lot of like obviously there's great music that gets made in all kinds of different ways. And um and I shouldn't talk shit because of of course we use pro tools and logic and our shit is totally manipulated digitally. <laughs> all that stuff, I get it. But, um, I think that that is a, is a, just a gigantic part of the problem for me personally with a lot of modern music. I just say music, not necessarily a heavy rock, but I just think I like, that's what I love about records from a certain, you know, from the fifties to the eighties. Like that's like, it's not like people weren't cheating and fucking around and mm-hmm. layering shit, and manipulating things, of course, but it pretty much sounded like it would sound if you were in the room with Hank Williams to right. listen to one of his records, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, um, at least on a good night, you know?
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, and that's what I dig. That's the shit that I dig.
0: I mean, I get it. I, I mean, it's partially a baited question because, you know, I fucking hate most of it. I, I don't have as much <laughs> as stake here as you. Like, I'll just go into it. Like, I, I think most of it fucking sucks. Um, but as, as a guitar player. I don't want to get
2: beat up at a festival by all these bands. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, I
0: know. And they're usually jacked. Like the people in these <laughs> bed, they're usually like 21 and jacked. And I'm like, you know what, motherfucker, you were on the football team and you should have stayed there. Okay. <laughs> like,
2: <laughs> I-, I mean, I really, I really shouldn't talk shit because like, you know, I've, I've been making like writing a bunch of songs and recording lots of demos. And I always love, like, I like when, when like, you know, like that era when the Clash were like putting crazy drum machines on things and right. it's like that hybrid. And I do that on my own music. And I'll probably do that on some of my new solo stuff in a way that I haven't really done before. Like maybe have like some kind of like, like drum machine shit going on in there in a way, you know, with the analog thing. I love that when you overlap those two things. So I'm not like a Luddite exactly. I'm not anti-technology. I just, I don't know. I'm old and I've been around for probably too long and, and it just takes certain things to get me excited. And and most of what I hear doesn't.
0: Well, it's it's not about it being uh, you know being inventive and you know treading new ground and stuff. You know, it's a huge part of music and rock and roll, just in general. Well,
2: lucky for us, the genre seems to be completely dying. Yeah, <laughs> So
0: yeah, it we, probably, yeah,
2: this, probably won't even be an issue. Any yeah, this conversations
0: <laughs> moot in about in about sixteen months anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, good for us. Good yeah. for us. Rock is dying. A bunch oh, of yeah. old seems... old rock dudes on podcasts will all have a lot to do. <laughs> let's send it on, on a bunch of grouchy guys bitching about the future. Yeah. yeah That's a good I place to yeah.
2: out. Get off my lawn, you little bastard. <laughs> now,
0: Brad, what do I do with this file? Do, do, do I leave it <laughs> yeah. open? It's so
2: it's so fitting that this interview started with me watching a YouTube tutorial on how to use (laughs) Flex Pitch. Now we're we're ending on this.
1: (laughs) You completely freaked me out with that. I
0: couldn't figure out what was going on. But Chris, yeah, thanks so much for coming on uh, last minute, giving us all this time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. So so much fun talking to you.
2: It was really fun, man. I, I enjoyed it. And I, I always love going on somebody else's podcast so I don't have to do any preparation. <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again. Right on, guys.
1: All right. That was long overdue. Thanks, Chris.
0: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what a guy. What a fun guy and a, what a cool life.
1: I, you, you know, know, yeah. I, I, um, Last time I saw those guys, I I uh after the show, it was at MSG Madison Square Garden, and I sent him this picture that I had taken from the side of the stage, which was uh he it was two of his boys mm-hmm. and then at least and one other kid, maybe one maybe Dave Gohl's son or you know, at the side of the stage, like watching these guys, and it was a great shot. It's I, I sent it to Chris. I'm like, hey, I really enjoyed your bring my kids to work day experience (laughs) and it's you know i got the perfect angle the kids are sitting down like on the side of the stage there's chris like in the lights and then you can see all the audience of like madison square garden out there and it's so cool (laughs) bring your kids to work day dude meanwhile you Uh, know as he said his kids are completely jaded on his music (laughs) although maybe they're foo fighters fans who knows but
0: yeah, that's a that's been a pretty hilarious theme that's come up concurrently in going off track. Yeah. Is all these like really great musicians and borderline like famous rock stars whose kids could give off a right. fuck? They got to right. I mean, they got to. That's what your kids do. They don't. So, think you're but cool. what what's the trick then? Because like I always see like say okay right. I saw Rob Trajulio, you know who that, you know, or I'm not, I don't know if I'm saying his name right from Metallica. Right. who was in suicidal tendencies. That guy, mm-hmm. like his kid came up to play with Metallica fairly recently. And he looked just like, <laughs> you know, it was, he just had the long hair, the stash. He played bass. He played bass well enough to be in Metallica. So I, I wonder what, like where, what's the, like, what did he do? What? to get his kids into it when people like you and Chris are telling me, yeah, like my kids fucking hate what I do they can give a shit. I,
1: well, after the fact, your kids grow into it, you know, like it's yeah. like, I, I think the thing that I love about it is I think it's, you know, for all the non rock stars out there whose kids think they're not cool. Just remember <laughs> yeah. Chris Shiflett's kids don't think that he's
0: cool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, yeah, so yeah. just take it to heart, you know, it's a good message.
0: Yeah, there's, like, just no dad in the world who's just not, like, the biggest, like, goof nerd to their kids. It's weird. (laughs) But then I see, okay. But, see, maybe we're just not being military enough on him, right? Because I just heard a story about a guy named DK Metcalf. He's a football player. We won't get into it. But basically, the guy is, like, the most jacked athlete you've ever seen. Like, no human should look like this. And there was a story that his father was claiming that he could bench press 50 pounds and squat a hundred pounds at five years old. And then I'm like looking at my son who's five and I'm like, Oh fuck you doing? Like you haven't benched once, you know, like, like I'm like, it's possible, but I don't know if these people are like, Making their kids do it and drilling it into it, or if they actually showed a real interest. You know, Uh, I feel like I'm going to be such a hippie about everything. It would be like, yeah, bro, like do what you want. I just, I just probably not going to do anything but play fucking video games. Like, should I be harder?
1: I just don't know that kids until a certain age, I feel like, yeah, I think the parents are drilling it into them. I think it takes to a certain age before you can get interested in. Although I got to (laughs) say, my nine year old is really for some reason taken to seeing how many sit-ups he can do. And he claimed, I've sat and watched him do 200 like that. What? Yeah, and he just, and he claimed the other morning, he gets up, you know, he gets up before everybody else in the house. And he came in and woke me up at like 7.30. He's like, Dad, I just did 450 sit-ups.
0: Get the fuck out of here. (laughs) What's going on there? I don't
1: know. It's probably one of his buddies, you know, had a contest with him and he thinks it's cool to do sit-ups. So that's his thing. I'm like, do some freaking you know, pushups too. If you really want to, if you really want to get this going,
0: you're like, bro, please (laughs) just do some arpeggios. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Something. (laughs) Skip the sit-ups, man. Can you do some scales? He's doing, he's doing good. He's
1: he's into guitar. He's been playing. He's really into Ozzy. The first thing I think he ever learned was, uh, was crazy train. That's pretty tough. Uh,
0: Yeah. All right. So I guess you're doing it. If your son's playing crazy train on guitar and, doing 450 sit-ups in the morning. It sounds like you got a pretty cool fucking ripper over there, Brad. I think yeah, you're doing course, a good job. Of course, it,
1: it took a cousin to really get
0: him into the guitar, though. But, yeah, he had a head start for me. And Dude, I, can't, I just imagine one of his little nine-year-old friends doing the, like, rocky thing right now, you know, where, like, he sits up and then he smacks his stomach twice, <laughs> you know, to get it nice and hard for the boxing match. What if your son wound up, like... In the spirit of what Chris was talking about with boxing and Manny Pacquiao, what if your son wound up being like like a featherweight boxer?
1: Hmm. I don't know. I have mixed feelings about boxing, but Yeah. I could deal. Featherweight's not bad.
0: Would you wear a pimp suit to the match? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Tell, Tell me I- what all right. You have <laughs> unlimited budget unlimited budget and Oscar (laughs) is fighting his first title fight at, at Bally's or no Caesars down in Atlantic city. What do you wear? Benny, I will tell you right
1: now that before I had got married and had kids. Yeah. I took a trip to Las Vegas with a good friend of mine. And before Mm -hmm. we went, we went out of our way to find the nastiest, polyester cowboy <laughs> suits, but like suits, you know, like a jacket, you know, with yeah, like those yeah, lapels yeah. sure. And cowboy hats and we did ve- and and nasty like Elvis sunglasses and we spent a weekend in Vegas and we didn't leave our hotel without wearing those suits. Wow. So I'm ready, dude. I will
0: wear I will pimp out for Vegas anytime. All right. All right. I still have two questions then. <laughs> so all right, that weekend, tell me, like, were people treating you differently? The, 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 mo- the
1: only part that was kind of embarrassing was we were at Caesars at, like, 2 in the morning, and this drunk, um, <laughs> this drunk American indigenous person mm. came up to me and was, like, couldn't Uh-oh. get, was so psyched. He's like, it's so good to see two real cowboys <laughs> in Las Vegas. <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs>
0: what did you do? as you play it off? I was off? so
1: embarrassed, dude. And I was, I was so looped that I just played it off as best I could. And yeah. He was really wasted, that dude. So- Brad, the
0: ranch hand. All right, so... So we found out that, but all right. So you still didn't tell me. I want like a basic description. I might revive that we exact talking- suit. I might revive it. It was. It was.
1: It. I, it was good. It was very uncomfortable. It was full poly, like thick polyester. Like yeah, you would. It would never. You couldn't wrinkle it no matter what you what
0: you tried, and uh, I I might go for that again. You know, it's so tricky when you're like an alternative guy and you have to wear a suit. You know? I never know how to play it, right? Because you know, because if you just wear a suit suit, you look like the guy who wears a suit once a year and puts it back in the closet and then (laughs) wears a suit again. Like, it's pretty obvious you're a guy who doesn't wear a suit every day. Right. And then the other option is kind of that like I'm a rock and roll guy wearing a suit look. You know? Which always has like the same elements to it. It's like it's like oh, a foreigner won a Grammy. It's like what they would wear when they went up. You know, it's there's some element of leather or something like that. Oh no, you know what I mean. Like, you just need to get. Like, a it's tasteful. almost like for someone like me, I can't find a non-embarrassing way to wear a suit. So I have even considered like, I'm not saying I'll ever win a Grammy, but if I do, or if I go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or something where like I'm gonna have to be an old man displaying myself in a rock and roll scenario and I have to look nice. I've considered like, how would I play it? Am I playing it straight? Am I going to be like old rock and roll dude look, you know, with the, you know, a little bit of chest hair popping out, maybe a cool (laughs) necklace and some rings or something. Or do I just go full on? Like, I don't take any of this seriously and wear like a dumb and dumber tuxedo. You know, like with the, the orange hat. Right, right. Or do I go flat pimp? You know, like, but but then am I appropriating another culture? I don't know, man. I don't know what to do with my suit game.
1: I, you know, I always think that you can't go wrong with just the classic sort of like rat pack, thin tie, mm. like fairly trim cut, you know, I mean American suits are cut like shit. You know, you got to go with like a more European cut. It's kind of trim. Yeah. And you can't go
0: wrong with that look, dude, no matter whether you're a rocker or a fucking mod or whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I tend to lean towards European soccer coach. <laughs> you know? Like like the slim cut shirt. I actually think. I, I'll <laughs> just I'll just say it right here those guys are great looking you know yeah they're great looking men and they they, they just look great they age so well. that's what i try to <laughs> do yeah they age well so yeah i'm like trying to be like a mid-40s like italian uh soccer coach who's in like the bundesliga like yeah that's like my look i think okay yeah all right pretty interesting stuff huh hey chris Schiffler <laughs> fans did you enjoy that <laughs> There's nobody still here.
1: We got to wrap this up. So listen, okay. I thank Max again. I want to thank Justin Jay. Uh, he's got a podcast called The Plug. We plugged it in the middle of the show. You should check it out. Chris is on that show. Um, and he's got some other guests that are pretty interesting. He's kind of just getting it going, but there's a bunch of interesting episodes up there. Um, you can find Chris on Instagram at Shifty71. That's S-H-I-F-T-Y 71. Uh, he's at Twitter at Chris seventy one, and you probably can't guess the year he was born. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you can find us, of course, going off track at all the socials, goingofftrack.com. Mm-hmm. Leave us a nice review on iTunes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can leave us a nice tip at Venmo at Off Track. Mm-hmm. Or if you're really serious and you really want to be, you want to join the team as I like to say, patreon.com slash going off track. There's bonus material up there. There's actually, if you're an Uber fan and you're still here, there is going to be some bonus material from this interview because mm-hmm. after we stopped recording formally, I still had my ghetto recorder going and we had a little conversation about stuff that, um, that could have been part of the show, but it won't be. It's for patrons. I didn't say anything only. embarrassing
0: in that, in that part, did no. I? But, well, I, but I'm going to say that you did, so that people want to go listen. Yeah, to it it'll only be our Patreon's who can hear it. So, <laughs> so you let me know how bad I embarrassed myself. Well, thank you, anyone who has been here for the last two hours <laughs> today. Also marked the 40 year anniversary of John Lennon's passing. Ooh! So I want everyone to uh, imagine peace and love and understanding. Try to be cooler to each other. Take care of each other. Team human, you know? I hear you, dude. We could do right. some. So I love you, Brad, and I love everyone out there. Well, not everyone. If you're a piece of shit, I might not love you. <laughs> I've cursed a lot. Let's go. All We're right. Done. Good night. Good night. <laughs>